The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Total Wine & More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities. Up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. And now, it's time for the voice of mixed martial arts. We are it's Bruce Buffer, exclusively on FoxSports.com. From the shores of Malibu, where the bikinis are walking and the waves are pumping to the streets of Fairfax, Virginia, where the UFC is coming, and to the Great Wall of China, where I hope no one is jumping. We are live on FoxSports.com. This is It's Time Podcast. It's Time Radio. Call it what you will, but we are the lifestyle show of the internet. I am here with my co-host, TJ DeSantis. And TJ, I don't even think we have... Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Touch-free QR code payments. No seller fees until 2021. Not applicable to PayPal here transactions. Other fees may apply. Shop safe with PayPal. Time to talk about current events. Mm -hmm. I don't even think we have time to talk about the really solid show we had in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Because this show is action star packed stuff today. We have Bill Burr, the comedian, the actor, the writer. People, if you don't know what he looks like, you don't recognize the name, when you hear the voice, you're going to know who Bill Burr is. But a lot of people know who Bill Burr is because he is very, very popular. What an honor to have him on the show. And we have, from the world of WWE, a man who's a true fan of the UFC, a man who's an advocate of the monster Brock Lesnar, but stands on his own two feet in the WWE. That's Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman. My gosh. We have Paul Heyman in studio. Yeah. Not calling in. Not us calling him. No. He is coming in the studio. He's going to sit right across that table from you. It's going to be amazing. You know, uh, you know, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. I know you are, but you know, I'm also a fan myself. I respect this man tremendously. Right. And for the two of us to be able to share the same studio with you today, I am like a kid in a candy store between Bill Burr and Paul Heyman. Who knows what to expect on It's Time Radio today? Man, it sounds like your producer's doing a good job. I think the producer's doing a great job. That's why we've been, what, five-plus years together coming up? It's been a minute. Almost six. Almost six years. Almost six years. I yeah. know. Crazy. It's crazy, crazy. Credit to you, though. You did all the work with uh, Bill Burr. I just did all the work with Paul Heyman. Hey, you know what? It's called teamwork. We did it, baby. We, we did, did it. it. We did it. I don't want credit for anything. I want credit for a good, solid show. When you listen to this show today... When you are done with It's Time Radio today, you're going to say, wow, yeah. what a show. I'm coming back next week. You know, I think uh, our sponsor, FuriesFightPicks.com, came on at the, the absolute perfect time. You no, know, I didn't even think about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, our new sponsor. We You talk about an inaugural show. Oh, did you tell them how much yet? Because we should raise it. It's a good idea. Well, being, I mean, it's a gambling website. We'll, yeah. uh, 
We'll be in. We'll be in negotiations. Yeah, we'll be in negotiations. We'll hold them hostage, Luca. You're in trouble. Yeah, you're in trouble, Luca. Get ready to write another check, <laughs> or two, or three, or two, or three. Yeah. Well, you know, I just got back from Rio. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the usual joke. How are your arms? My arms are tired. Yes, yeah. of course. Flew just flew in. Just flew in. No, I went to the gym for a couple hours. I'm I'm back to work. I'm ready to rock. And you roll. have to. You can't miss a beat these days. No, I have another uh, non UFC appearance coming up this weekend. Oh wow! I'm going to Toronto. It's kind of a secret, but I'll talk about it on its time radio. I'm Toronto. going to Toronto. I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to be announcing the uh, main events in the Ultimate Arm Wrestling League, the UAL. That's the number one arm okay. wrestling league in the country. Uh, my good friend Robert Drink is the owner, and the uh, shall we say Dana White of the UAL sure. in this country or in Canada or uh, both. Well, I'd have to ask him about that. And he'd probably say both because right. you know he's doing shows all over. But you know, I got to tell you something, TJ. I've done the UAL a few times, uh-huh. and arm wrestling is old but new to me to be sure, there. Sure, sure. I have seen, I think, more arm breaks in the UAL than I have in the UFC. Oh, I bet, I bet. Are you ready for a little bit of uh, MMA knowledge right here for you? Go ahead. Name the UFC pioneer that was a standout in competitive arm wrestling. I'd have to think about it. I don't want to waste time thinking. Who is it? It's the uh, uh, Big Daddy Gary Goodrich. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely correct. Big Daddy. Yeah, he was big in that. Yeah. And was he going to go into uh, art... uh, uh, what's his name? Art uh, Davies. Uh, oh, X Arm. X Arm was he no. I don't. Too? I don't think so. Uh, James Irvin did that. What a ridiculous thing that was. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Art's, no offense, Art's Art. signatures no offense, Art. on the wall. No, I, I have he, a tremendous respect for Art. He's a uh, he's a pioneer when it comes to the Ultimate Fighting Championship Hello. and mixed martial artists yeah. or mixed martial arts. But yeah, that X Arm. No, that wasn't a good idea. That no, wasn't a good idea. No, no. Somebody is going to get seriously hurt in that. It's just it's all spectacle. There's yeah. nothing that is sporting well, about that. It didn't get anywhere. No, uh, I watched. Know. I watched one episode of it, and I saw a guy do an arm bar. Well, how are you arm wrestling if you have two hands on a guy's arm and you're trying to arm bar him? Was that legal in that rules or whatever they have for they that? They didn't stop it, but I think they just kind of made stuff up as they went. Yeah, that's. How do you make rules for something like I, that? I have no idea. I have no idea. But for those of you that aren't aware, what we're talking about is where you arm. YouTube it. It's worth a. Yeah. It's worth a look. Tell, what's the name of it again? X arm. X arm. I mean, not only you arm wrestling, but you get to punch and kick the guy. Yeah. Speaking of punching and kicking, Damian Maya, my goodness, came out of nowhere, was an underdog, beat Ryan Lafleur, and the knock on Damian Maya was that he gasses. And don't get me wrong, he gassed in this fight. Did you see what he did to get to that point he to didn't, gas? He didn't gas until the fifth round. Until the fifth round? I mean, the knock on Damian Maia is that about, you know, you get a round and a half, two good rounds out of him, and then he wilts, and that just wasn't the case Saturday uh, night in Rio. Well, so. he's fighting in front of his home country crowd. I mean, there's so uh, much involved. Then keep him. that man only fighting in Brazil, because that was a Damian Maia that we haven't seen in a... I don't know if we've ever seen that Damian Maia ever. He looked like a million bucks. No, he looked fantastic. He was completely happy afterwards. Uh, Ryan LaFleur, he basically took his O. Yeah. You know, got his first loss, and much credit to Ryan LaFleur. He's a true warrior. Uh, there were a lot of good fights. Koscheck, I hear that uh, Dana's talking to about possibly pushing him into retirement. Um, but you know what? Give Josh credit. The guy stepped up, what, three weeks ago? I don't even think it was that long. You know, after a fight where he got choked out, and granted, he didn't have to fight that long, but he did get choked. His, his body, his physicality was still great. And he went for it. He was in Eric Silva's face, didn't back down. Swinging for the fences. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my hat's off to Josh Koscheck. If this isn't If this is, in fact, his last fight, um, it's been a pleasure watching him compete. Without question. Without question. He's, he's a warrior. Yeah. Uh, Eric Silva, um, I think he's learned a lot from the loss he had recently, and he's coming out stronger. He's definitely a contender. And up and coming. But uh, great time in Rio. How can you not have fun in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil? 
Um, seeing everybody down there. Thank you again, the Brazilian fans, especially those listening on the show that were there at the show. Um, always great to see you, and thank you for all the love and, and the show. It's incredible. Yeah. They sound like 50,000 people. Yeah, I uh and it, it wasn't a big crowd. No, right? it's it's but, always great. I uh I actually get to watch this fight from home. I haven't watched a, a fight card from home, a UFC fight card from home in over over a year and a half. What a switch that is to the previous year and a half. Yeah. Yes, yes. So yeah. so sitting at uh sitting at home and with the surround sound I can hear this and it's not you that's saying it. It's the rumble of the crowd that is getting behind the it's time. Yeah. Oh, money. It's just money. It's it's. Uh, I still am blocking it all out because I'm focused on. You the You don't fighters. feel it. You can't feel it. I. You got to be able to feel the. It's time. I feel I the. Think. It's time, but I. It's it's blocked out. I'm so sure. into what I'm doing. I get it, but you I know. think you'd be more susceptible to feeling the. It's oh, time I feel it. I feel the because vibration. It's, it's more still kind of about the fans, but when you're doing like the introduction of the actual fighter, right. you're in the fighter's face. I think you probably feel the fighter oh, more yeah. than anybody well, else. Well, my eyes don't go off the eyes of the fighter unless their backs are turned to me. I am grilled to their eyes. Right. They turn, I turn. It's oh, everything's happen. buzzing. We got Bill Burr coming up here. Oh, yeah. So. Let's get Bill Burr on the show. God, what a treat this is going to be. We are back with one of the strongest this time radio shows we've ever had. And uh, we have a lot of good shows coming up. Yeah. A lot of good shows coming up in the next month with some of the guests we've got on the show. So, everybody, let's take a little break on FoxSports.com. We're coming back with comedian, actor, writer, Bill Burr. Can't wait. We need to thank our newest sponsor here at It's Time Radio. It's FuriesFightPicks.com. That's FuriesFightPicks.com. You know, it's founded by full-time professional gambler Luca Fury, and this kid is hot. He's 19-5 and five on the last 24 months in MMA wagering. You know, this is really cool because I personally know Luca, and his bets have been now documented by a third-party tracking site, so we know that these stats that you're giving us are real. But the cool thing about the, the site itself is that it has free MMA betting previews, there's podcasts, videos, as well as a fantasy MMA game preview and tourneys. So for a true MMA fan, the main event of the site is the premium service and it's the best out there. Now, winning is not guaranteed when you are gambling, but FuriesFightPicks.com does have a guarantee. All premium packages of one month or longer come with a guaranteed profit or get another package of equal value for free. One-month memberships have won 77% life-to-date, and a six-month longer package has won 100% of the time life-to-date. Those stats are unreal. You know that I do like to make a bet once in a while, although I don't bet fights, Right, TJ. right, right. But I do like betting football. You're lucky if you get 60% right in football Seriously. to try and make a dollar. And the cool thing about this is that Luca's site only costs $35 to sign up. So what that means, really, if you want to do the math, on an average, you only need to bet $11 per unit to make back the membership cost and then profit on top of that long term. He's really laid this out really well for the MMA fans who want to bet. And if you want to see it for yourself, head over to FuriesFightPicks.com forward slash premium. That's FuriesFightPicks.com forward slash premium. Also, talk to the man yourself. Follow him on Twitter. It's at FuriesFightPicks. That's at FuriesFightPicks. Now back to the show. Now back to the voice of mixed martial arts, Bruce Buffer on FoxSports.com. Hi, Bruce Buffer back on FoxSports.com. We have a really special guest coming up here, TJ. You know what a huge fan I am of com- comedians, stand-up comedy, anything having to do with comedy. I practically lived my life in right. the comedy stores for the last 40 years watching these great guys. Well, what we have now is someone I like to call my friend. At the same time, I'm a huge, huge fan because this is, as people like to call Bill Burr, the comedian's comedian. He has a huge respect for his fellow peers. He's a double threat as well. He can also act. He's a triple threat. He's a writer, he's an actor in film and TV, and he's a comedian. He's basically the whole ball of wax. So let's bring on 
the great Bill Burr. Bill, how are you? What's going on? I don't know if I can follow that intro. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow any intro, Bill. I'm sure that you can make anything sound good or maybe sound bad and still be funny at the same time. But uh, you're fresh off the ice, right? You were out there doing a charity uh, hockey game today? Yeah, I'm doing a thing um, for uh, Madison Square Garden. You know, they own a lot of theaters around the company country where I perform at, so they got this uh, this charity that they do, the stand-up show on uh, Saturday night, and then uh, today they just let us play a little bit of pickup hockey in Madison Square Garden, which is pretty insane, and I'm for, it's cool that they videotaped it, because I'll have it, but uh, oh, man, the amount of times I fell down with nobody near me, was, it was pretty embarrassing, <laughs> but uh, it was so fun, though, dude. Um, the ice was just, it was unreal. You well, know, I, you know, coming from like public rinks and pond hockey to go skate on an NHL ice is like, uh, it's like skating on the moon. It's like they turned down gravity or something. It's got to be unreal. But look, your job or one of your jobs is to make people laugh. So if you got to be self-deprecating to make that happen, you're going to have to do it, Bill. Falling on the ice will be okay. But Yeah, well, if my jokes could be as funny as the way I play hockey, I would be, uh, I'd be as good as Eddie Murphy. So did you slam anybody up against the boards? Did you show some toughness out there? No, dude, we're old guys. It was all non-contact. Any any uh, contact was uh, incidental. <laughs> I, I kept running into this other guy because neither, neither one of us knew how to stop, so that was the only contact in the game where we'd, we'd slam into each other. My, my question for you, Bill, is did you wear the uh, the half shield, the full shield? What, what did you have on your, uh, on your oh, dome? Full there? cage. Full cage, Good all the pads. I look like RoboCop out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 46 years old, man. I don't have any ego whatsoever. I'm mad at myself, but my hockey bag doesn't have wheels on it. That's the next thing I got to do. <laughs> You know, speaking of RoboCop, Bill, you, you mentioned that, and I know I was watching you in the heat, and, um, you know, you've got this film you're doing now, Pariah, that I read about, but you play a really good cop. You know, you really do a good job with that. And I have to ask you, I know your love is stand-up comedy, but so many comedians in the past, you know, the great comedians like Jack Lemmon, Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton, Robin Williams, uh, all those except Jack Lemmon and Tom Hanks I've seen in the comedy store doing stand-up years and years ago, you know, like 30 years ago when I used to go there as a kid. Um, what's, your, what's your dream, Bill? Do you, do you see yourself getting into the real serious, grabbing some great meaty roles, maybe walking up one day and being nominated for an Oscar like Hanks and Lemmon and Keaton and Williams have? Well, everybody dreams of thanking the Academy, but I, I think uh, I'm a stand-up comic. That's my wheelhouse, and uh, I look at acting like I act when they let me. It's basically it. You know, if I audition and I get it, or for some reason if I get lucky and they want to offer something to me, then I and I do it. But I really don't have any control over that acting game is really uh, difficult. Where stand-up, it's like, you know, you bust your ass for 20 years, you get a following, and then all you do is just keep writing new stuff and always give them a show, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll keep coming out to see you. So I'll always be a comedian, but um, I really enjoy... Uh, I like doing movies better, I think. I just like I just like that... All right, I'll be this guy for the next three months, and then it's over. I find uh, TV series is a little overwhelming. You know, uh, they, they work really, really hard, and I've been spoiled as a comedian. I don't want to work that hard, you know. Well, every actor I known have known that has gone into TV, and one of my buddies, Ray Liotta, now just signed up to do a TV show with uh, J Lo over there in New York, and he's going to be doing that. And the money's great, but they all tell me the same thing: they work harder on TV than they work in film. You know, cause well, it's, the it's, it's like you're doing it's a never-ending movie, especially if you're on an hour-long drama that's a one-camera shoot. It's like those guys, I swear to God, they're like zombies. What's so, that? Sorry, Bill, I was getting yelled at by TJ. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, no, it's just it's just like it's like you're doing a never ending movie. I mean, you think about it like a movie's like an hour and a half, two hours long, but a season, if you do twenty episodes, you're talking about twenty hours and that's it's like you're you're filming ten movies. Right. So uh I have a tremendous amount of respect for the, the writers who gotta write all of that, the editors who gotta edit all of it. It's um it's insane and uh I don't know. When I can just go on stage and act like an idiot for an hour, sometimes that looks a lot more appealing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll watch you for an hour or two hours or three hours any chance I get. You know, we're getting back to these great actors at, that were comedians or stay maintain their, their prowess as a comedian. What do you think it is, Bill? Because like Jack Lemon being one of the originals that I remember, of course, Charlie Chaplin, if you really want to go way back as far as being a comedian on screen, uh, maybe not doing stand-up, but why do you think as they transition so well to film, turn into the fine, fine actors, dramatically so, comedy-wise, that they become, go on to be nominated and win awards, is it, in my opinion, is it because you're, you're so comfortable, you've been on stage, you've dealt with the hecklers and the praisers and the clappers you know all those years you've been running the the gambit of uh, the circuit across the u.s and elsewhere that finally when you get in front of the camera you're just comfortable is there it what do you think it is um well i can only speak for me it took me a minute to get comfortable it's like it's trying to transition everything that anyways for me everything that i learned as a comedian to then get back to the same level of comfortableness i mean it's weird because now you're in a scene with an actor and there is a crowd, which is the camera crew, and you're used to looking at the crowd and, and breaking the fourth wall, whatever the hell that term is, and uh, all of a sudden you kind of block that out. So it's a little bit different, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I really I don't know what it is. I mean, it was something acting was something I really worked on to get better because I was horrific, at least at auditioning, for a long time before I sort of turned auditioning into like a like the same kind of game I turned stand-up into where I would go on stage and each, with each set I would have a goal and I'd try something that was going to scare me or would make me feel stupid and so I would get comfortable and I just did that with acting. But um, I really think uh, some people just have it. Like I know Kevin Hart, like Kevin Hart like, just transitioned about as smoothly as I've seen anybody since like Eddie Murphy. But Jamie Foxx was another one, just like just absolutely seamless. Some people are just born performers, I think. You know, it's funny because um, Kevin Hart, I played poker with Kevin Hart. I think he's on 24 hours a day. He's I mean, everywhere. You're right. No, but I mean, he's, he's on. He's, no, no, he's, I know. Yeah, yeah. Not, oh, I not get on TV. Saying, yeah, yeah. But he is on TV everywhere these yeah, days, too. But he's on, even when we're playing poker. I mean, he's just got that same energetic. Does, does the guy ever calm down? You know, he's likes more energy than... Than, uh, no, he he has one of the most amazing personalities of anybody I've ever met. Like you, you just he's just somebody you want to be around. He's funny as hell. He's really positive. Uh, he's just a just a great. He was one of those guys that he was one of those guys that when he came to town, like um, you just knew. I remember when he came to New York, he had he had something, and then it just sort of he developed really really quickly, really quickly. He went from a really green comic to just. I don't know, every time, like, just, yeah, like, every month was, like, a year to him, as far as, like, how, how much better he got, and, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, I'm real happy for him. Well, he has that it factor, as they say. Absolutely. There you he, go. There's some show terminology. There you go. <laughs> hey, Bill, I, I, I'm curious, I mean, obviously, you're, you're a stand-up comedian, you've had to deal with hecklers, uh, in the past, now that you've you've come to such notoriety and such, such success, do you still get the occasional heckler when you do a live stand-up? Yeah, but I say a lot of stupid things, so I feel like, you know, people should question me. And, 
I'll tell you, I went up at Dangerfield last night here in uh, New York in front of like seven people and just bombed just brutally. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, that's the one thing. You know, clubs will keep you honest because you just pop in. No one came, came there to see you. And uh, so they don't know who you are. Then it's like, all right, who's this idiot? And you go up there saying a bunch of stupid things like I do. It can go off the rails pretty quickly. But uh, I've been doing it long enough, and I know how to bomb gracefully. But it was definitely uh, it was definitely one in the lost column. Well, I'm I'm curious. I mean, it, it never feels good to uh, bomb, but does it does it feel? Yeah, it does. Li- well, does it really? Yeah, it does. does yeah, it? it does. And it's fun to irritate people. You know what I mean? There's nobody there. There's no industry there or anything like sure. that. And it's it's funny. And what was funny to me was the amount of brutal sets that I had over the years in Dangerfield. And I was making the other comics laugh, going like, "Ah, man, this place hasn't changed." And they knew what I was saying because, <laughs> like that that. That club is awesome, man. You can definitely kill, but it is notoriously brutal if, like, I don't know. Is that? If you come on stage, there's just the wrong energy in that room. Is it? And, yeah, it it can go south pretty quick. Bill, is that because of the New York crowd that's in the audience that you you expect and know is going to be there? Kind of like going to, you know, play an organized game at at the um, opponent's home field advantage, kind of say? No, it's 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 Dangerfield is, is its own deal. Like Dangerfield, like you walk in there, it's like going into a time machine. They haven't changed anything since like '68, '69, when like Johnny Carson was still doing the Tonight Show in New York, and we just walk in there and have a couple of pops. It's still the exact same. You got to go in there. It's like a museum, and just it it appeals to just a certain kind of New Yorker, but nobody from the city really. It's a lot of people that drive in. They're a little bit older. They have an idea. Sorry, I'm going to park and dress you. Yeah. They have an idea of what they think is funny. And if you come in just talking about something they don't care about, they're content to just sit there and stare at you. And they did that to me last night. <laughs> well, as the saying goes. I had a rough one, as Rodney says. <laughs> as the saying goes, it'll make you stronger. Man, I miss Rodney Dangerfield. He's one of my favorite comedians. I used to love to see Henny Youngman. I, I saw them both live. I'd see him in Vegas. And give you a little back. Your, your knowledge of stand-up is uh, very impressive. Thank you. Well, you know, where that comes from, Bill, is that um, I'm 57 now. be 58 in May. And, and even back when I was 18. Look at your full head of hair. You look great. You son of a bitch. You're annoying. <laughs> well, you know, it's good food. I've uh, been an athlete my whole life. A lot of bad women and a lot of good red wine. So. <laughs> yeah. There so, you go. So, you know, back in the early days, the, the comedy store, Mitzi's Place, which uh, I know her son's running now up in Hollywood, but they used to have the Westwood Comedy Store. And my standard Friday night, even in high school, was to go to the comedy store, take my date there. And, like, I always liked to kid. I've told Rogan this and other people. You probably got me luckier as comedians more than anything else in my life because the girls were ready and relaxed after that comedy show. I mean, it was a closing factor. There's no question with my dates. Jesus, you must have saw everybody. I saw every. I mean, back then, Bill, David Letterman was the host of no the comedy. No kidding. Every night that I went, not every night, but most of the nights, you David Letterman opened the show and was the host. You'd have guys, I mean, Robin Williams coming in, testing his set. Um, go back to Andrew Dice Clay when he started out sleeping on Mitzi Shore's Jim couch. Jim Carrey, I imagine you saw everybody. I saw Jim Carrey at like 18, and when I first saw him, I said, this guy's going to be a huge star, this rubber man up there doing everything he did. I never saw anybody do that stuff, and I was like floored. I used to call and find out when he was going to be there, whether Hollywood or Westwood, and I'll make it purposeful to go see him that night. I can't begin to tell you how many great comics I saw, and I literally— What about—do uh, you remember uh, Mike Binder? 
Yeah, Mike Binder all the time. Sure, of course. Very funny. Yeah, yeah. He didn't mind a married man upside of anger. I just did a film with him. Uh, just came out, uh, Black or White. But uh, Kevin Costner, uh, finance, Octavia Spencer, and uh, it was really cool to work with him, man. He's funny as hell. And uh, he's another guy transitions into acting and directing and writing. And um, he's got something else coming up that I might be in a movie called uh, 1958. And I'm hoping... You know, these movies are crazy, you know, when they try to get them to all come together. And uh, I've already said, like, look, if, you, if you're going to do it, I'm there. So I'm hoping uh, I get to do another one with him. But he's one of my favorites. No, he's one of my favorites, too. But I remember back when I was in college, if I remember correctly, and I remember Mike oh. Binder had that HBO special. But he actually worked with a partner for a while back in the old days. Like, I'm trying to remember this because I, I saw him live a couple he, times. He did. He never told me that. Well, <laughs> check with I'm Mike. Break his balls. Please tell me he had props. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Mike because I'm really searching my memory banks now, but I remember seeing him with a with a sidekick or something he worked with, you know, along with doing his own thing. Um, but hey, Buffer, I'm curious. You've you've watched a lot of comedians back in the day. Did you ever get up there on amateur night? Did you I ever have, try your hand? I have always had a inside burning right to do stand up comedy. Well, we need we need to get Bill here to write you uh, a routine I, and then like, get up there well, and do it. See, the thing is there's a routine, but I'm I studied improv improvisation. I studied improvisation when I was younger at the Dallas Theater of Arts because I wanted to be an actor when I was like a young teenager. I gave that thought up real quick. Right. But um and I still luckily I get to do film and TV once in a while now, so I fill that little void that I always sure. wanted to do. But there's one void, one bucket list, one thing. I would love to do a set. But, Bill, I don't want to go out there with, like, a bunch of material to read from. One of the questions I have for you is, because I like talking off the cuff and making it funny. When you walk out on stage, you've got your outline, let's say. But how much of that is improvised once you start, and how much of it is what you had planned to say? Well, if you're on, the more you're on, the more you're just leaving your... Like, your act is basically what you don't want to do. Your act is just the safety thing that you go to exactly. if, if you're not on. So you go on, and usually you're opening with your newer stuff, the stuff you're excited about. At least this is how I do it. And then um, hopefully that just you gets you in the zone, and then you just start going off on stuff and screwing around and acting like an idiot. And then that's, like, probably the most fun. Uh, that's when, when that happens, it's the most fun job you could ever have. But uh, on the nights when it stinks, you got to kind of stay in your act, but... I've learned tricks to get myself out of the, uh, you know, trapped in my act, as I say. What I, what I do is I just start improving with, like, um, um, my working material, stuff that I know that's going to work. I just, I start tagging everything, I, whether even if it works or, or not, just to somehow be saying something new. And that can usually snap me out of it. Uh, you know, sometimes you're tired or you're in a bad mood and it really messes with you and then that's not fair to the crowd because they paid for the tickets you really you really got to give them their money's worth especially now you know with these flat screen tvs and surround sounds i mean you really gotta you really gotta you know give them a reason to go out and go see something live does does that mindset change about you know being on your act or or kind of letting it flow uh, when when you're doing a special, when you're doing one of these uh, you know uh, hour long plus uh, sets that we see on Netflix and whatnot. Yeah, I try to uh, I try to just pretend I'm doing a, a set in a club whenever I do a special, and I don't get hung up. I I, I don't get hung up on uh, I don't get hung up on like oh I missed that tag or you know I'm documenting this joke. Every part of it has to be in there. I just look at it like. 
on documenting, documenting like this is was the performance of this hour on this night, and this is how it came out. And it takes all the pressure up. And what happens is, is the comic, you stress about all the tags you missed, or I flubbed this line, and nobody at home knows, and they don't miss them. As long as you made them laugh for an hour, they had a good time. And by the time you do your next special, you can't even remember the stuff that you missed in the first one. And, um, yeah, like, I remember some comic was saying, just remember to have fun. Because sometimes, you, you know, you work your ass off to get a special, and you, you'll, you'll put so much pressure on yourself, you'll forget to go up there and actually remember, like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to enjoy this. I wanted to do this job because it was fun, you know? <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because in correlation to what I do in the Octagon announcing and other, you know, events that I do, too, I always tell myself, and I give this advice to announcers that ask me for advice, which I'm always willing to give, most of all, have fun. Have fun, be yourself, go out, let it go. And, you know, like the way I like to work is if I'm not having fun, there's no way I can travel 38 times a year, you know, all over the world doing the UFC shows. I've got I to enjoy this. I went to one live UFC event, and you were so good. I was actually sitting in the crowd dying laughing because <laughs> of all of the horrible intros that you get as a comedian. Like we do like these college gigs, and they had the person who booked you would like bring you up, and they would have... First of all, it being like a cafeteria, the people, you know, are eating lunch. They have no idea there's going to be a comedy show. And, you know, in the end, you want to say the name last. These people would, would say your name first. They'd be like, we have a comedian, Bill Burr. He's been on TV, and here he is. And you just go up to dead <laughs> silence. And watching the difference between that and then just seeing you up there. Like, my favorite part is, is when... You go when you go <laughs> when you scream that like it just it, it just fucking oh sorry if I messed with the curse like oh, you, whatever you want you're Bill Burr you can say uh, whatever you want yeah your heart rate goes through the roof and you were so <laughs> like that alone it's just like I was just thinking if anybody gave me an intro like that before one of my stand up sets they probably have the best show of my life well then you like, got why do you do that man like those spiders they must really appreciate it because even in the crowd you feel like you can run through the wall. Oh, that's awesome to hear. And yeah, that you know, the greatest thing in the world, aside from the fans enjoying, is when a fighter, you know, now they're fist bumping me or they're looking at me and winking at me and, and, and they come up to me after the fight and say, You really got me going. You know, I'll always cash the paycheck, Bill, I always say that. But that's that's what really gets me going. That's what gets me. If I was going. a fighter, that that would be the thing. I was like, I want to hear Bruce Buffer going nuts announcing <laughs> me and then please God don't let me lose. <laughs> I think well, here, you need to put something together for Bill here. I, I'm just about to tell right, him. Right, yeah. I'm Bill, joking out of the blue corner. Right, well, that could that could work too, but yeah. here's the thing, Bill. Here's my promise to you, okay, because I, I, I would love to see you live. And when you come to L.A. or let's say you're on the circuit with Joe one time or whatever, I did this for Russell Peters. I opened up for him and introduced him into the comedy store. He loved it. Well, he told me he loved it. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. No, I'm sure he did. So my, my gift to you, gratis. I won't charge what I normally charge, but which is called a big zero for you, my friend. Let me just get there with a seat for me and a date, and uh, let me get on stage if you want me to, and I won't interrupt your whole thing and your persona, and I will blow that place up, bringing you on as the champion of the world of comedy. Well, you know what would be hilarious is if nobody knew that you were coming out. If you just, Even if you just did it backstage, if people just heard, like, or maybe you start backstage and then gradually, as they start to figure out it's you, you walk out on stage. I don't know. There's got to be a, a cool way to do it. But uh, I think, Bill, you should just make him do like two minutes and then then do the intro. I want to see two minutes of buffer out there. I want to see him uh, have his time. 
Oh yeah, dude. I'll write. I'll write you a couple of jokes. Like uh, we'll just make fun of how bad my act is. It's a but date. You'll deliver it like it's compliments. It's it's a date. I'm telling you, Bill. I'm there. That's you. Just call me anytime, twenty four seven. Dick Joe comic <laughs> in the nation. <laughs> the undisputed biggest dick in comedy yeah. presenting. Right there, you go. Oh yeah, it would be unreal. That'd be unreal. You know what? I'll um. Here's my offer to you. You got a special? You want me to come out? I'm there. You got an act? You want me to come out? I'm there. You want me to send you an audio file to play when you're cross country? Tell me what you want. I'm there, Bill. You got me. It's like no a problem. nice brainstorming right, well, session here. At some point, uh, we got to do it live, man. Like I got to. People have to understand how good you are at doing that. So we got to do it live. And even you know what's going to be great? Even people who aren't fight fans, there's no way they're not going to appreciate what you did. And that'll probably make them go like, well. You know, maybe I should start watching that uh, that UFC stuff. You know, I love it. I think I think Bruce would have to like stand uh, out there, like back to the audience, do a buffer one eighty, and uh, I want the three sixty. Oh, he's he's I asking. Want the buffer 360. He wants the top Rogan shelf. Video. I, you know, if I get lucky enough to be on stage with Bill Burr, I think I'm gonna have to pull that out of retirement. Wow. I think I'll think about it. Bill, you should so be that, honored. That was such a funny video. I love that Joe was already doing. Like, he was already, like, on camera for UFC, so he couldn't scream. I that, that look he did to the camera, though, after you did the 360, when he just had his mouth open, his eyes wide, I, I laughed, like, for 20 minutes. I kept rewinding that. That was such a cool video. It's a priceless moment for me to remember because I purposely held everything to the final moment. Joe was thinking I wasn't going to do it. I told everybody it's going to happen at the last possible moment. Oh, you sandbagged everybody. You're yeah. like, yeah, I don't know if I'm feeling it. I'm going to. Exactly. Exactly. You know the routine, Bill. There's nothing more exciting than the impending event and always keep them thinking, right? I was perfect. I always leave them wanting more. And then you hit them over the head with the classic old school showbiz. That's what I do with my wife. I always leave her wanting more. At least that's what TJ that says. That bombed. See that bombed? I tried my hand. Well, because it didn't work. We, we know it's bullshit. No. <laughs> you know what it is? I'm married, so I know the sadness of that. <laughs> I, I love Even it. If you don't leave them wanting more, they'll, they'll find something. Yeah. Hey, Hey, Bill, I've never been married, but I've almost been divorced twice. So I have a different world than you two, I think. Well, it's there true. you go, man. It must be Christmas every day in your world. Uh, well, a few days a week, Bill. <laughs> Let's put it that Wonderful. way. Hey, Bill, you got on Netflix. I want to tell everybody out there, Netflix, if you go to Netflix, you got two of your shows on. One you did purposely for Netflix, and then you're coming out with uh, a show, an animated sitcom, I understand. Yes, it's based around your stand-up. F is for family. Is that what it's called? That's right. F is for family. Uh, it came from just childhood stories I was telling on stage and, uh, you know, political correctness making people, uh, you know, groan a little bit. And I just was like, well, what if I just animated them and made them even more crazy? And um, we got to do like six of them. Netflix has been amazing. Um, just the exact opposite experience I've had at any other network where rather than pulling back on the reins, they they were actually going, push it further, push it further. So, um uh, I'm so happy that a, a place like Netflix exists so that I can um, finally get some of these these ideas, you know, that got, kind of got shut down by all the other guys. So <laughs> I'm psyched that they exist because if they don't, I don't know where I'd be. Bill, here's the thing. Nobody knows what works in Hollywood till it works. Let everybody else go, hey, we should have worked with Bill, you know? Yeah. Bottom line. Bill, also, too, realize I do do voiceovers for animated projects if you ever need me. <laughs> There's my pitch. <laughs> oh, my God. Do we actually have, I wasn't even, do we actually have one where there's a, uh, 
there's a there's a there's a fight in one of them. Like they're watching an old. You remember the old school like the heavyweight fights used to be on television. You can yeah. actually watch them. So it's like the early seventies, and. Um, Ah, man, I'm an idiot. Why didn't I think of that? Well, 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 hopefully we'll get a second season. I'm going to get you in there for something, all right? Yeah, no problem. It doesn't have to be an announcer. It could be anything. I just would love to work with you if I ever get the chance to do that someday. And um, I want to tell everybody to follow you on Twitter, at Bill Burr. Are Don't you... forget his podcast. And I'm about to go into that. And then we've got your podcast, you know, which you've had for, like, since 2007 or something. You've been doing this podcast a long time, haven't you? Yes, I have. Seven years. Yeah, and it's wow. every Monday. Is that correct? Every Monday, and lately I've been doing the, uh, I've been checking in on people on a Thursday. I think oh. Monday, they, uh, they're hating life, they gotta go to work, and then Thursday they're in a better mood, they got their check, you know, so I do like a half hour that day. I give them the full hour on Monday. Well, on Thursday, I do a half hour, and then it's a half hour of some of the, the greatest hits from over the seven years, because a lot of people, you know, are always asking, well, remember that story you told, what about this one, what about that one? See, TJ, he's got it down to a science. He's yeah. Got it down to a marketing science. Now, is that all on iTunes? Yeah, iTunes. And it's also I'm on the All Things Comedy Network, a great comedy network that I started with uh, Al Madrigal and a couple other guys. And it's basically comic-owned, comic-run, um, grassroots kind of thing because, we, you know, we saw podcasts were blowing up and we knew the businessman was going to come in and try to offer the behind-the-music uh deals that they always do, which is like, hey, you guys created this stuff. All right, listen, we're going to own it, and, <laughs> salary, and we'll be making money in our sleep, and you guys can dance on stage for the rest of your, your life. So we're trying to to pool all of the exposure that all these, we have so many great comics, Ari Shafir, Tom Papa, Harlan Williams, We've got check, uh, All Things Comedy Network, just go on there and click through the podcast, we have great quality control. It's all uh, nothing but funny people on there. That's awesome. I know what I'm doing tonight. i got to write my uh, my cards for an event I'm doing this weekend. I love listening to stuff in the background. I'm listening to you tonight, Bill. I just made myself a note right here. And, TJ, get this. Bill's also done video games. He was one of the voices. Oh, I know all Grand about Theft. the Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, Grand yeah. Theft Auto 4. I'm consumed by it. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, was, is, there, uh, is there anything you haven't done, Bill? I mean, is there something you want to do, or are you just on track to do everything? Uh... No, man, I'm living the life of a big kid, so I um, I don't know. I, I just The only thing I focus on is my stand-up act, and I just compete against my last uh, special that I did, and I try to improve, and I hope that people notice, and everything else is out of my control, so I don't even worry about it. Yeah, Bill, we, uh, we're running out of time. We've got to move on, but uh, we got to have you back, man. I think we've only scratched the surface on a, on a variety of subjects, and uh, we really appreciate the time. Okay, well, I, I'll come in studio sometimes. You guys based in L.A.? Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I live out there. I live out there. Where do you Next live? Time, out, uh, where do you live out here? You're at your so your shows out here too? Yeah, yeah. I'm down at the comedy store all the time. Oh, Bill, send me a text, will you? You know, like during the weekdays are always good for me, and I'll be happy to come in studio with you anytime you want. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, done deal. Thanks, right. Bill. We appreciate it, man. Thanks so much, Bill. Right, and I got, I got to tell you, I have a secret uh, wish, and I am looking forward as your movie career begins to expand and develop. I want to see one of those heavy co-starring roles with Bill Burr. I, I know what's going to happen, and beyond what you've already <laughs> achieved. Well, maybe it'll happen. Yeah. All right. You, know, we... you keep saying stuff. Maybe Hollywood will believe it. Well, I, you got my vote, and I'll be happy to say it anytime you want on tape or live, as I promised you. Beautiful. All right, Bruce. Thanks for having me on, buddy. All right. Take care, Bill. Be good. Bye-bye. There he is, Bill Burr. That's awesome, isn't it? We got to have him in studio. That'd be great. I know. Now that he's in L.A., we could have him in studio. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. It's well, almost like we live in, like, the second most populated city in the country. Well, you know, it's just I was thinking, you think Bill Burr, you think 
Massachusetts. Well, I keep you hear that Boston. accent. Yeah. You hear that accent, absolutely. So. Yeah, all the time. Okay, we'll be right back on FoxSports.com. It's time to begin! <laughs> Who am I kidding? I'll let him do it. of MMA, Bruce Buffer. Hi, Bruce Buffer back on FoxSports.com with It's Time Radio, the lifestyle show of the internet. All I can tell you folks is I'm really excited about the show today and I'm tremendously excited about my next guest, a man that I've been wanting to have on the show for quite some time, a man who I happen to be a fan of and appreciate all his work. He's worked in wrestling, he's managed some of the biggest fighters, including Brock Lesnar, who's been in the UFC, as well as the WWE, CM Punk, who's coming into the UFC from the WWE, but there's so much more behind this man, it's a pleasure to have him in the studio. Let's bring on, not the good, not the glad, but the great Paul Heyman. Paul, how are you? How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. Real pleasure to have you on today. Well, thank you, likewise. And in studio, how did, we got lucky, TJ. Yeah, you should uh, throw your producer a bonus. I, jeez, oh, there we go. Milking me for cash every time he can, Paul. But that's the name of the game, right? Of course it is. Yeah, of course. All right, TJ, you got it. I'll... Paul, can you negotiate my uh, bonus? Give him a penny. A penny? I'll tell you what, he won. I'm giving you a three. I am no longer a Paul Heyman guy. <laughs> well, anyway, Paul, you know, you're here in town, WWE last night, and you're on the road again. Where, San Jose, you go today? San Jose, yeah. How, how many shows do you do a year? Are you on the road? I know you're on the road more than I am. No, actually, I probably am not now that your schedule has increased with the Fox deal. Uh, right. I, I work Mondays. That's and, it? Yeah, Mondays and, you know, about tw- probably 12 Sundays a year. Well, you know, that makes me – the reason I can relate to that is I've been managing my, my brother, the great Michael Buffer's career for 20-some years. And we had a deal with WCW back in the days of Sting and Hulk and, you know, Macho Man and all that. I had so much fun at those shows, Paul, you know, going there and standing backstage and watching all that. But the deal was one pay-per-view a month, one Monday Night Nitro, but he had the option to do more. He loved those Monday Night shows so much, aside from the paycheck, of course. But he loved going. He loves wrestling. And he did. He would do it like four times a month, and along with all the other travel. He couldn't get off the scene. Yeah, he the live experiences. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I was showing my kids uh, the other day the, the, the legendary Freddie Mercury performance from, from Live Aid in 1985, mm-hmm. where he just came out and started, and started riffing with the audience, you know, and getting the audience to sing along with him. Right. And I was just trying to show my kids, you know, the power of being in front of a live, a live audience. And, and that's what those Monday nights are like. It's just, it's such a, a euphoric experience. Right. You know, not, not just to be broadcast around the world like Raw is broadcast around the world, but just to be in front of that Monday night live audience is just, it's just insane. Well, you know, it's really, you're, you're absolutely correct, and I remember this so vividly. It's like the energy in an arena for the WWE or the WCW back then. It's like the great, like TJ, it's like going to Brazil, you know, with the 20,000 fans that say, sound like 60,000. Oh, yeah, especially, especially during that Monday night era. Yeah, they yeah. just go out of their minds. It's like, and I think the key point, as we experience sometimes in UFC, well, many times where we go, is that you do it in a different city all the time. It's not like you're there two months later, three months later. It's like, this is the chance to see the WWE, this chance to see Brock, to see Paul, to see all this happen at once. So there's such expectation. Do you find when you walk out that your adrenaline takes over and, and, and just become like the performer that you are? Yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. Right. I'm, I'm him. I'm, I'm the advocate Paul Heyman when I walk out there. It's, it, it, and, and again, this is something that I'm sure you can identify with. Mm-hmm. You can have 
104 fever and the flu and be sick as hell. And, Been there. And you're talking like this. Hello, honey. Okay, listen, I get home. <laughs> um, uh, we'll pick up some more NyQuil and I'll feel better tomorrow. And then you walk out there and it's fighting! You know, and, and, that's, and that's it, you know? It's, wow, he's you, pretty you, good you, at that you one, just huh? Take it, you know? It's just, yeah. You're that guy, you yeah. know? You, you're not Bruce, the husband, the father, the right. son, the brother. You, you, you're, you're Bruce Buffer, mm-hmm. and, and there's an expectation. And you're, you're not just there for yourself, you're there for the product, and you're there for the audience, and you're there for the fighters. And, and, and so much is, is about what you're going to do to enhance the excitement of the show. Right, right. You don't sneeze when you're out there. You don't cough when you're no. out there. You don't have a sore throat. You're Mm-mm. not stuffy when you're out there. And the moment you walk back through the curtain, you're sneezing, oh, God, I feel terrible. Yeah. But when you're out there, you know, it, it's that it's that moment where your toes are curling, uh, you know, right before the orgasm. It's just Ab- the greatest moment in the world. Couldn't put it better. He's talking like me. You yeah. sound like me. That's, yeah. that's I like that a lot. You know, actually, you mentioned the 104-degree temperature. There was one night I was like that. I collapsed into a wheelchair after the show and back. The, the paramedics wanted to take me to the hospital before the show to hydrate me. And I'm like, you know what? In my mind, I'm not fighting. I can get through this. I'm not fighting. I mean, what do I have to complain about? What, what, I'm not wrestling like in WWE, you know, doing what they do, which I give these guys – and thank you for all those kind words. I give these guys so much credit, Paul, because, yeah, people say, oh, well, they're not real fighters or whatever. You know, you get some of that from our audience and stuff like that. But you know what? Whatever. The bottom line is they are out there doing something that they missed the mark by an inch. They're hurt. Yes. And they get hurt a lot. Well, My- there was a, uh, um, a Mexican wrestler. Just uh, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, Pero Aguayo. Pero Aguayo Jr., yeah. yeah. And, you know, so they still don't understand what went wrong. Something went wrong in his performance, and they don't exactly know where he suffered the cervical uh, um, trauma, but something went wrong. Right. You know, I, I get a very early lesson in this industry. I was around it as a, as a kid, as a photographer, when I was a teenager. 1987. I've done my homework. Yeah, well, that's when I started. I was 21, yep. and I started, and, and the very first thing that I did was uh, I was in the ring for, for the first night I ever managed, and I took a backdrop. And I boosted when I was already being boosted, and I went too far, and my feet hit the top rope, and it propelled me straight down into the canvas on top of my head. And my body went numb for a second, and I thought I broke my neck. Mm. And I realized, wow, I mean, I did this one, one time, one stunt, one bump, and these guys do 100, 200, 300 every night, four nights, five nights, six nights a week. You know, I, just because my schedule's easy doesn't mean that their schedule's easy. Most of these guys wrestle four nights a week. Well, if you combine the fact that they're traveling and have to do all they have to do in between events to get there, that's what people don't realize, what, we, what, we, what you and I right. do and what everybody else does, the fighters and the, and the wrestlers. There's so much involved. It's such a wear and tear on the body. Yeah. Oh, listen, Brock Lesnar suffered more damage in a professional wrestling ring than he ever did in a UFC ring. Well, Boss Root. Cage. Octagon. Brock Octagon. Absolutely. Are you talking about the one WrestleMania, the the shooting star press yeah. where it landed on his head? Well, that's head? just one. That's but, I mean, one, walking yeah. into that WrestleMania, he had broken ribs, broken fingers. Uh, he blew out one of his knees. I mean, it's, it's just the toll that it takes. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it, it's a very taxing industry. But they hold their character. I was at a, again, I go back to the WCW. I was there one time when Goldberg was performing and then Hulk was performing. And I got backstage. I saw them talking to each other about what they talk about before they go out. And it was just really, really, really cool. The thing is, is when he's out there performing, as soon as Goldberg stepped through the curtain, when the audience couldn't see him anymore, I watched him fall to the floor because his knee was out. But he didn't let on about it. Of course not. And, and this is standard. 
Yeah. Totally standard in this. It blows me away. Well, it just goes back to what you guys were talking about. I mean, adrenaline does crazy things. It allows the human body to do, you know, uh, inhuman-like things. Right. Adrenaline. We get back to it. The show right. must go on. Now, I have a, I, here's a question I have for the wrestlers. My, my, for the wrestlers that are performing. In my observation, when I watch the wrestlers, I think that the most important thing of their total circle of being an entertainer, being a wrestler, being all that, is their ability to maintain that personality persona they're projecting and the interview process when they grab the mic. Right. They got to be, their wrestling could be subpar or not, you know, exciting. I never thought Hulk Hogan was the greatest wrestler in the world, but man, give him the microphone, the show he put on, everything else, it more than made it look like the greatest wrestler in the absolutely. world. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm correct in that? Oh, absolutely. So is this something that you think can be taught well or more like you either have it or you don't? You, ha- you have it, but you have to be taught it as well. I, I think some people, ha- I don't think anybody ever had to teach Chael Sonnen how to right. speak. Yeah. Somebody may have pulled him aside and said, hey, listen, if you want to take what you have and draw money with it, mm-hmm. why don't you direct your venom this way? Why don't you take your comments and then insert something like this that makes people want to go buy a ticket? Right. I, I'm sure he was, even as a child, always witty, always, always sarcastic, always facetious. And I think once someone at least pulled him aside and said, here's how you make money with it, then he got it right away. There are other people you can sit there and teach all day long. They'll never understand how to portray and convey their own image to the right. general public. That's very true. And there's very few people, when you think about it, TJ, that really, in our sport, in MMA, there's very few that have the ability. There's many that try. Now the Chael kind of set this bar. We have Conor McGregor, you know, who's doing a real good oh, job. Oh, is he awesome? He's awesome. What? He's a natural. He's on a 10-city tour with Dana right now and uh, Jose Aldo promoting their upcoming fight in July. And it's actually over at Fox Studios right now with Dana, I think. So they're out there doing the number. It takes a lot of work, you know, to train and do everything else. You know, in the, in the wrestling world, uh, did you ever see the movie we did, Ready to Rumble? Yes, of course I did. Did you like it? No, I did not. And what about, and I always wanted to ask a real, a real person in wrestling about this. What did you not like? Because they tried so hard, and I thought that the mistake they made was trying to market it to the wrestling audience because they get to watch it for free three, four times a week. You can't expect them to run out to the theaters, and it didn't do as well as they did when it first came out. But what if that film didn't work for you? Uh, it wasn't entertaining. Right. It just wasn't a good movie. I don't think it had anything to do with the people involved. I, I cashed the check, by the way. It's okay. Oh, hey, listen, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the money of it, of it was real. Yeah. I, just, I just didn't find it to be a very good movie. You know, it, it, it became too much about the wrestling itself. Rocky wasn't a boxing movie. Some of the worst boxing scenes in film history. Uh, yeah. yeah. Bo- boxing I was love a the movies. backdrop to the love story. Of, of, of this down-and-out guy in Philadelphia getting his one chance, but his one chance was not really in the ring. It was against his true love, the girl. Right, you know, and, right. and it was a love story. Rocky was Absolutely. a love story with boxing as a backdrop. Absolutely. And Ready for Rumble was a wrestling movie. Eh, okay, yeah. thanks a lot. Yeah. The biggest shame, I think, out of Ready to Rumble was the fact that David Arquette went on to become the WCW Heavyweight Champion. How the heck did that happen? Uh, Maybe that was they were the desperate deal. at that time. It just, it just doesn't strike me as the kind of persona that I would pick to, to be there. Yeah, you know, I'm curious. When WCW came to an end, Paul, I think it was the number two professional wrestling promotion of all time, but it died when, when Vince bought it and, and brought it in, and they tried to have the brand extension. It went away at the end of the day, and that's, you know, ECW also was, 
was brought in, but it had legs. It went on. It, 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 well, for nobody me, was calling for the return of WCW. Right. Nobody, nobody sat there and mourned its death because they they died such a slow, miserable, horrible, painful death in front of the audience for two and a half years until someone at Turner finally pulled a mercy killing. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's just funny to me because I think ECW surpassed WCW following WCW's death. Is that, well, is that a fair statement, or do you think that ECW had already surpassed it before WCW had Well, died? everything was consolidated into WWE at the very same time. That was, that, that was the blindingly fast uh, consolidation of the industry in 2001. You think about, it's funny, ECW started in 1993. Well, you, you started it, right? It was well, your, well, that was your thing, wasn't no, it? No, it, it was, there was a guy named Todd Gordon in Philadelphia, uh-huh. and Todd had started it in 1992, and I came in in 1993 and took over the creative, and then I brought him out uh, of, of our partnership in 1995. Right. But ECW started in 1993, the same time UFC started. Mm-hmm. UFC went from the Myrowitz and and Semaphore and David Isaacs and uh, Campbell McLaren well, listen to these over to memories. the Fertitas and Dana back in around 2001, which is the same time that WWE bought out WCW and ECW. Right. So it, it's kind of been on that path, you know. It's it's the consolidation of the industries, mm-hmm. the the expansion of the industries, all follow around the you know all follow the same avenue, the same path. Well, they just follow the same avenue, but they follow the, some of the same marketing avenues because you know the whole theory of of uh, free show, free show, free show, pay per view, free show, free show, free show, pay per view. This was more of the wrestling mode in the WWE and the WCW, and the boxing to an extent. Um, which obviously is a pattern that works that the UFC adopted, and it worked. And, you know, we used to do, what, we six shows. We did three shows a year. We went to six shows a year. Now, last year, we hit, like, 49, you know, with 12 pay-per-views. So you have four per month, Monday nights. Right. Lay, lay that out. How many shows are there a year in the, in the WWE? There's 52 Mondays. 51 of them are usually live. Right. And then if, if, if it falls on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, they, they don't do a live show. And pay-per-views? How many pay-per-views? Pay-per-views are 12 a year right now. 12 a year. Okay, good. They're not even really pay-per-views anymore with the, with the network. No, it's a drive to the WWE network. Yeah, yeah I, I just made a deal last year because they, the WWE did, did buy the WCW, but it was last year that I made the deal for Michael because they put the library into the show and I had to make a deal because they have to, you know, okay, Michael doing his rumble and being on right. camera and everything. And again, I get back to the fact that Michael loves WWE, loves loves wrestling, he always has. And he can't wait to get the call to arms to get back for like a Royal Rumble. I actually tried to get him on the one that was here in LA uh, a while back. And they wouldn't slam? take him? Huh? They wouldn't it, no, take they, him? They, it, I contacted him like about two weeks before. I think the creative minds were already on their set, and it just wasn't right. You know, there was no real definitive thing. It's more like we want them, but not not right now. Oh, you should have called me. We would have pulled some political strings there. Well, you've got the call right now. Anytime you see a fit for Michael, then I'd love to get him back in. How about it. you? I mean, I'll be well, very honest <laughs> with you, and I know I know that I, – I, listen, I don't expect you to, to confirm this or deny this or comment on it. I have to be honest with you. I'm a huge fan of your brother's success, right. but you are the best – Freaking ring announcer in the world! Oh my God! And and it's this is nothing I haven't already said for years on Twitter. Oh, Paul, thank I, you. No, it's the truth, man. Thank I mean, I I said it on so I said it on Twitter when I saw you live. I say it every time I I, I tweet about a UFC fight. It, it's it's the build, you know. Early in the show, it's fighting out of this yeah. corner, and then it builds, you know, fighting out of this corner, <laughs> and then you're doing a pirouette. It says fighting, <laughs> and the audience is just going. Nuts! You you have a a passion for the product. You are the world's biggest 
UFC fan and you're standing in the middle of the octagon saying, I'm looking at this fighter and my God, I'm going to live vicariously through this guy. And if this is the one moment that he will show his grandkids of his UFC career, I want it to be me introducing him and that's the intensity and the passion with which you do your announcing and I'm whether I'm live or and 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 just enjoying being part of the audience or whether I'm at home and I'm watching it when you introduce these guys it's just like man I want to see them fight you know that's so awesome you know Paul out of everybody that's commented me and I love all comments and and uh, I, t- I take them so humbly, believe me. But to hear that come out of your mouth, the way the, the words that you use, you described it so perfectly. Because I'm a fan first and announcer second. I want to. In- I know what it's like to stand toe to toe and bang with somebody. I want to introduce these guys the way I would want to be introduced if I was standing there. Right. And I want to, en- and like you said, enhance their moment. It's already at this level. So most announcers come out and they kind of keep it at this level, try to jack it a little. I want to take it to the next level. Right. And that's why. I- I have a tendency to get close to them in the face and, and all that. But when they fist bump me, Paul, we talked about this uh, before in the show, now they're like fist bumping or they're looking at me, and I can tell I'm having a positive effect on them. Oh, and, of course. And that drives me. Well, that course, drives me to keep this you going. Do. Yeah. And the audience, too. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The fans, you know, it's all for the fans. Without the fans, we're nothing. Oh, of course. Period. Well, who, who, who pays the bills? Exactly. And without the fighters, we have nothing. And it really comes down to those two people. I right mean, we there. can get Larry Ellison to sponsor, you know, sponsor it like, like he does uh, <laughs> tennis tournaments where the Sultan of Brunei can fly everybody over and we can do it in the palace. But if you want to do it as a global promotion right. and you want to sell broadcasting rights and digital rights and merchandise and right. licensing and everything else, this is the avenue to approach. Well, in answer to your wonderful invitation, okay, um, my, my loyalty is to my brother, number one. Um, but if you and Dana worked out something where the UFC was involved, you know, I would be more than excited to be there. Oh, and, and I would let it fly. I, I'm, I'm such a huge fan. And I would take bumps. Oh, too. no, 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 okay. no, no. No, you don't want to. <laughs> no, okay. I mean, I, I can't speak for well, anybody one, else. But one bump, one bump. You don't want to take them from Brock, I'll tell you that. No, no, I don't. From what I've heard, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> you know, uh, we'd be foolish to uh, not talk about Brock Lesnar. He is the uh, WWE champion right now. He defends his uh, title against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Um, you know, from we're very selfish here. We're mixed martial arts fans. It's our sport. When I see him working in, in the ring, I go, oh, my God, he looks amazing. He looks way better than he ever did when he was in the UFC. Right. You know, oh, yeah. you, you know Brock better than anybody. Throughout his mixed martial arts run, was he ever healthy, Paul? No, not a single day of his entire run in UFC. Interesting. When Brock Lesnar took down and beat up the greatest heavyweight champion in the history of UFC, Randy Couture, mm. Brock Lesnar was suffering from diverticulitis. When Brock Lesnar came back and choked out Shane Carwin in the second round, mm-hmm. Brock Lesnar was suffering from diverticulitis. What a comeback during that fight he made. Oh, my Huge. God. And, and his wife was nine months pregnant sitting at home watching the fight. Whoa. Oh, he had so much on his plate yeah. then. I mean, yeah. he had just come back from a major surgery. His wife was nine months pregnant, and here he takes this fight on July 4th weekend, and he gets hit by this brute from Greeley, Colorado, with the with these iron worker hands, these steel worker hands, Shane Carwin with that uppercut, and I, 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 my life flashed before me. Right, it was just horrible. But to survive that and just weather that storm and come back and choke Carwin out, so you know it's uh, he was never healthy. He was never once healthy. Not against Velasquez. Not against Overeem. Not against Carwin. Not against Mir. I mean, when he pounded Frank Mir into pus at UFC 100. He was, he, he was a man suffering from diverticulitis. Well, 
that brings up the big question that all of our listeners, including TG and I, want to hear. And I know you can only say so much. Will we see Brock Lesnar back in the octagon? It's a distinct possibility, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of factors here. It is no secret he's in the middle of a contract negotiation with WWE. Right. If that goes well... Would WWE want exclusivity, or would Brock be able to do both? Mm-hmm. I said a line on television a couple of weeks ago, and I said Brock Lesnar, uh, if he Brock Lesnar desp- decides to spend his summer unifying the WWE and the UFC heavyweight championships, that's exactly what he'll do. Right. Uh, I can't tell you that it's not within the realm of possibility that Brock would want to do both. Whether he will or not is really up to the level of exclusivity WWE is going to want in this contract negotiation. If the contract negotiation falls apart, then Brock either goes home, goes hunting, mm-hmm. or he gets back into mixed martial arts. Well, I have a feeling, not a feeling, I would like to think that Brock is financially very secure, although I'm sure he loves to make as much money as possible, as we all do. But isn't the big question there about how Vince McMahon feels? I mean, do you see Vince McMahon ever condoning a simultaneous effort in both sports? I think it's all about the leverage that someone has in their negotiation. I don't think Vince McMahon would like it, Mm -hmm. but at this point with Brock as the single biggest attraction, the WrestleMania main event, someone that has taken the title to a level that I don't think the WWE title has 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 been to in quite a long time. Right. I don't know if there's enough leverage on WWE side to prevent Brock from doing that. Gotcha. And and if there is, I think it's you know listen, it's all about the shekels. You know, if they if they give Brock enough money for exclusivity, that's what he'll that's what he'll do. Well, it, I don't I know he's on the phone. He wants to talk about Brock, but I was going to go into another question. Or sure, go we? for it. We we can bring Jack in in a moment. We we got a big gun for you, Paul. Someone you've dealt with in the past who yeah. uh, would like to ask you a few questions. And very few people know more about. Yeah, Jack's our pro wrestling guy. Everything, everything. Would you say that Brock uh, would fight in the UFC for money, or would he walk in? Excuse me, just for the money, which I'm sure would be huge, knowing how Dana treats his fighters, you know, that level. Let's face it, Brock brought at least, by my guesstimate, 250 to 300,000 new eyeballs and pay per view buys to the UFC when he walked in that cage. Absolutely. CM Punk's coming in now. Yes. Do you another th- Paul Heyman guy. Another Paul Heyman. I was about to say that. This is this is. I said it earlier. I'll say it again because you've handled what, a big show. Who I know, Kurt Angle, Rob Van Dam, and CM Punk. I had a chance to have a little one-on-one time with CM Punk in Dallas. I caught him walking out of the gym when I was going in, and we talked for a bit. He's a really cool guy. Uh, a very cool guy and hyper intelligent. Very intelligent. Very determined. And realistically looking at this endeavor he's taken upon himself and realizes that he has to train as he's doing with Pettis' group and Rufus over there in uh, Wisconsin, right? Yep. In Wisconsin. He was there training hard for that. He realized he's not ready now. He knows what he has to do. So do you think that CM Punk is going to have the same effect of that kind of eyeball effect coming over from WCW to view him in the octagon, or do you think it's going to be a really good effect but not quite the Lesnar effect? Don't know. I think it all depends on his first fight. Uh, Brock's first fight in UFC was against Frank Mir, and it ended in 90 seconds with Brock tapping out. But for 87 of those seconds, Brock Lesnar was the beast that everyone knows him to be, Mm -hmm. and everyone could sit there and say, okay, he got caught, but oh my God, did you see what he just did? If CM Punk comes out of the gate swinging, Mm -hmm. And he shows the UFC audience exactly why 
he was such an idolized, such a revered personality in WWE. And if he gets his hands on a microphone, then I think whatever attraction he could be in that first fight will be doubled by his second fight because he will then make more UFC fans and not just crossover WWE fans. If he walks out and get and gets his face kicked in and and he doesn't get a chance to talk and he doesn't put on a memorable performance like Brock did against Frank Mir, right. then it's a one-time only deal. And Punk knows this by the way. He's not he's not delusional. He's not walking no, in here not. saying, <clears throat> "Hey, and, and and here's another guy. Believe me when I tell you, CM Punk made enough money just on merchandise alone to retire comfortably for the rest of his life. Right. But he's a driven, spirited, intensely passionate competitor, and this is something he's always dreamed of doing. And going back to Brock, it's the same thing. Brock Lesnar is a competitor. I mean, he was an NCAA Division I heavyweight champion. And if he if he didn't go into UFC later on or didn't go into WWE, he would have gone into the Olympics. But there was no money in the Olympics, no. especially in wrestling. Mm-hmm. So he decided, okay, it's, it's one or the other. And back in 2000, before the Fertitas and Dana bought out uh, Semaphore, then there wasn't really a lot of money in mixed martial arts back then. No. So he decided to go with WWE in a guaranteed contract. Right. Uh, Brock, it's both. He's a competitor, and he wants to compete. And he wants to put his will up against the will of another man. Right. He ain't going to do it for free, though. He shouldn't. So the money would have to be right. The deal would have to be right. And then he considers it. He's very comfortable sitting at home and going hunting every day. He's also very comfortable training and getting into a cage and fighting. And what? Fighting! Yeah, baby. He does it better than me. I like no, it. No, no, I will ne- I will never take that. No, no way. <laughs> it's an honor. It's an honor just to hear you say the word. I'm telling you, just get him Now, see, now I, he's got me going now. I think you almost dropped an F-bomb. Yeah. I think he's got you going. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm serious. I yeah. mean, it's like I'm ready because, you know, I like to get in there once in a while, too. I, Calm down, job. Buffer. Jeez. Now I'm taking him on the road. We're going to back each other up. All right, there you yeah, go. Yeah, that would be great. Hey, let's bring in our boy uh, from uh, SureDog.com, the Laps Fan Wrestling Podcast, Jack Incarnacio. Jack, uh, you're on with Paul Heyman. It's an honor. Paul, how are you, my friend? I'm great. So that's your first question, how I am? Yes, that is. Can you believe it? Uh, that's, my, that's the second question. Yes, I <laughs> can believe it, and I'm great. Okay. Two questions down. The, uh, the question that comes to mind right away is, you know, there was – sort of well-publicized dust-up between Brock and Vince last month where he walked out of the tapings in Nashville and kind of put you in a position where you had to go out there and work whatever re- revised uh, you know, plan or script it was for the show. I was hoping you could just share with listeners what it was like for you when suddenly Brock storms out of the building and uh, plans change at the last minute there. I don't agree of the assessment that Brock stormed out of a building. Okay. Um, I uh, the the dust up was in a private room with Vince and Brock alone, and only the two of them could talk to what the dust up was about or the words that were exchanged during the dust up. Uh, I'm used to plans changing not only at the last second but after the last second while we're in the ring and in the middle of doing something that the plans can change right then and right there. And if you're not ready for it, then you're in the wrong industry. So for me, it was just another day at the office. It's interesting. Brock went to uh, the Ronda fight at the Staples Center and uh, made a well-noted appearance with, with Dana at the show and everything. How was that received over at WWE? Do they have a problem with Brock? going and appearing at a UFC show, we hear, like, mixed reports on how they actually feel about that. You're presuming that I actually asked their 
position or opinion on Brock showing up for the Ronda Rousey fight. My opinion on it is, I wish I had a, I wish I had my plane ticket in order to go with him. Uh, <laughs> if, if I if I knew a couple days early in advance he wanted to go, I, I actually I actually would have gotten on a plane. Someone's going to blame Brock Lesnar or Paul Heyman or anybody else for going to a Ronda Rousey fight. Seriously? Hey, hey, man, you can't go to the Super Bowl. Why? It's the Super Bowl. Hey, you can't go to the final game of the Stanley Cup. Why? It's the final game of the Stanley Cup. Hey, you can't go to see a Ronda Rousey fight. Well, why can't I? It's Ronda Rousey. It's a cultural phenomenon. It's the biggest attraction in UFC. And I don't say it disparagingly about Ronda. She is. But the whole concept of Ronda Rousey, the whole marketing of Ronda Rousey, a Ronda Rousey fight is the biggest attraction UFC can offer today. And we're not supposed to be able to go? That'd be pretty restrictive, don't you think? Oh, certainly, yeah. And Brock has never been shy about making appearances at shows, even when he hasn't been under contract. But, you know, I I also hear it referred to as like a a negotiating play as well. You know, a reminder that he... Everything's a negotiating play. Everything you do in life is a negotiating play. If Brock Lesnar today decides to go to a restaurant and eat French fries because he's in the mood for French fries and someone takes a picture of it, isn't the first thing people are going to say, well... uh, Obviously, he's not going to be cutting weight for a UFC fight. So, obviously, he has re-signed with WWE because he's eating French fries. I mean, come on, you know. And if they and if they happen to capture Brock drinking Crystal Light because people know that Crystal Light is a diuretic, then he must be cutting weight going back down to 265 because he's getting ready to go into the octagon. So, anything that you do that's outside of the confines of your own house is a negotiating tactic because it can be used for or against you. Appreciating, Paul, that you know you can't speak to what exactly was the point of disagreement between Vince and You're presuming Brock. that I know. Right, oh, right. I'm presuming I don't know. that you don't know. And I, I don't want to know. Like, it's like, it's like the no. mob. It's like, hey, I don't want to know this. I don't, don't want to know it. Cause Sometimes if, cause you, get, if, you get in trouble for what you know. You yeah, know? you know, because yeah. then if, you know, if, if it leaks out, then I can be responsible. I can be held responsible. I can be accused of knowing information and, 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 and revealing privileged information. I'm not Brock's manager. I'm not his lawyer. I'm not his agent. I'm his advocate. And I'm legitimately his advocate. I do speak for the man. And I speak for the man on television. In the final episode of Monday Night Raw before WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar didn't have to didn't say one word. He didn't have to. His advocate spoke for him. So I don't need to know the details of, of his private negotiations with Vince McMahon. I need to know that we're going out to the ring for the final segment before WrestleMania, and I'm selling the public on WrestleMania for Brock. Do you have any confidence that whatever that issue was that was resolved such that we're going to get through WrestleMania and uh, it'll be relatively smooth and, and civil, or do you think there's still some hard talks to go? I think there are hard talks between a top star and the promoter every single day because every... I don't think Dana White can sit here and say to you, Every single solitary moment that that I deal with Ronda Rousey is a pleasure because I guarantee you there's always, well, it's this much for this movie. Well, that affects this training camp and that affects that date. Well, Dana, well, well, Ronda, you know, we we need you for this. We're going to do this big special and kind of need you for the red carpet. Well, I'll be in Yugoslavia shooting my movie. Oh, oh, should we move the red carpet? Should we not move the red carpet? Hey, every day is a negotiation between a top star and the promoter. And that's just the nature of the relationship between the two of them. Sure. I'm really interested, Paul, in your thoughts on this new WWE network age that we're in. Um, you know, UFC fans understand sort of conventionally that if you market yourself well and build a grudge match well or tell a story well, you'll sell more pay-per-view buys 
And if you're a big enough star, you'll get a, a piece of that money. So you're motivated, therefore, to you know build up your fight and to point as many people as possible to the fight and do that extra legwork to publicize. But in a network age where you know people pay their ten dollars subscription fee, and you can't really say that this show is you know something that we can cut a guy in on and directly tie the impact that he has on our business to. Does it become kind of a foggier picture right now as far as like being able to say this is this is how I draw? No, because all you have to do is demonstrate to the promotion how much you're worth in the attraction. So by way of example, I think Brock Lesnar and I have established ourselves as a top attraction in WWE. If WWE is now going to look at SummerSlam or Survivor Series or the Royal Rumble or next year's WrestleMania or Battleground or Hell in a Cell or whatever pay-per-view or mega event they want to put on. And they sit there and they say, hey, let's do this promotion without Paul Heyman cutting promos. Let's do this promotion without Brock Lesnar on the show. How will we fare? How will we do? Hey, and let me ask you this. How much more would it be worth if Brock is on the show? How much more would it be worth if Heyman is cutting those last-minute promos that's the last thing that you hear before the big event? And that's how you are able to establish how much you're worth. Same way Bruce negotiates for his brother. Now, no one can sit there and tell you that Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier or a Klitschko fight or Mayweather versus Pacquiao – uh, will will sell one more buy if Bruce Buffer or if Michael Buffer says hits his tagline. But if you want to enhance the product and you look at the ratings and you look at the dynamic and you look at how many more people get involved and get excited and positively review the show, then there's a correlation between Michael Buffer being involved and Michael Buffer not being involved. As a perfect example of what he just said is the Pacquiao Mayweather fight coming up, which I'm finalizing negotiations right now for Michael, but they're going to have both. The plan is to have both Jimmy Lennon and Michael in the ring because Lennon is a Showtime employee and Michael does the HBO shows. So Michael would have to introduce Pacquiao first, right? Then Jimmy, and whoever wins the fight, that's the announcer that announces the winner of that fight. Oh, so they're fighting, oh, so, so they're fighting not only that, but they're fighting for network bragging rights. It, yeah, there you go. So it's like the enhancement is there, and people are already calling and writing in my office, is Michael doing the fight? I got interviews, and I'm not, I'm not allowing any interviews because I haven't finalized negotiation yet. Right. But I will. Right, yeah. but, there's a, but there's a demonstrative value in having Michael Buffer there. He's the voice of boxing. Of course yeah. he is. All respect to Jimmy. Fine announcer. Oh, fine oh, announcer. Absolutely. Classic. But Michael Buffer is, is the voice of this generation's bo- bo- boxing era. And the one before. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so there's a correlation into paying Michael Buffer to appear, mm-hmm. though he can't sit there and say, well, with me, you, you, you sell 352,922 buys. Without me, you sell 216,000. Hey, having him there is a correlation to the product. And the same goes with the network you know the same goes with the network uh, otherwise how do you how do you judge your own value you have to understand what's it worth for me to be on this show and what's it worth to you for me not to pull off this show paul i want to run a thought by you in terms of brock's future he's 37 years old and if you look at it a certain way um you know he can come back to pro wrestling after making an mma return Coming back to pro wrestling, though, and stretching that out a few more years makes it that much more difficult, at least in theory, to come back to MMA. Do you think it's, it's, it's a fair assessment that it's now or never for a return to MMA for Brock if he goes back to pro wrestling that we won't see him return to the octagon? 
It's a very fair assessment. He's 37. Um, you know, I'm looking at a poster behind, 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 behind Bruce right now, and it's Vitor Belfort versus Randy Couture. And probably in that poster, Randy Couture is 43, I believe, actually. It was the yeah. year before he won the championship. So he's, 40, so he's 43 in the poster, yeah. you know? And then that's Randy Couture. You know, he got he was like Nolan Ryan. He was like Satchel Paige. He got better with age. Absolutely true. Scary, man, you know? and But I, I think Brock is right now in his physical prime. And if Brock is going to fight... This is when Brock needs to return to the octagon. And if he doesn't return to the octagon now, I think that chapter in his life is finally closed. Do you think he truly wants to fight, Paul? Do you, do you, do you, or do you have moments where you feel one way and the next day you feel another about whether he really wants to get in there and fight? Oh, I think he's very prepared to fight, and I think he's very intrigued as to how his body would react to a training camp and a fight right now because he's healthy for the first time in his life. And, and that's a very, you see, that's, you have to understand, this is a top-tier athlete, an NCAA Division I heavyweight champion, who has never been able to push his body so that he could compete at his highest level because he never understood what his highest level is. Hey, it's like this. Can you imagine if Floyd Mayweather found out that this entire time he's been fighting with a broken left arm? And so none of his jabs ever really meant anything because he can never really hit the way he's supposed to hit with, with his left hand. You imagine what would be going through his mind right now saying, I did all this and really I was only at 70%. Brock Lesnar was never past 70%. So of course it bothers him. Of course it sticks in his head. Hey, what could I have accomplished if I was healthy? You know what bothers me about what you just said? You brought up a painful memory. I got a call years ago. They wanted, I think it was a Vander Holyfield, to be in the WWE and <clears throat> made a call, whatever. Whatever boxer they call me about, I couldn't set him up as a little middleman just as a favor. So they said, well, who do you think would be good? I said, you ought to go ask Floyd Mayweather. Oh, well, can you get a hold of him? So I called his guy. And then they began it, and we know what happened after that. Yeah. I mean, he went on to make like seven figures. I didn't get a dime. I didn't get, and the same thing happened to me when Tank Abbott came to me years back in WCW. You know, Bruce, can you get me in wrestling? And I met with Henry Holmes. Do you remember? No, Henry Holmes was uh, Hulk Hogan's lawyer. Right, exactly. Right. So, you know, Henry tried to get him in, and then, and then he wound up getting in on a three-year deal that paid him like 750 or more thousand a year for three years. And he was one of the worst transitions into, into wrestling. I, it didn't work right. with him. And we get back to the interview process and all that, I'm sure. So you just brought back some painful memories. Well, you should go collect from Tank. Huh? You should go collect from Tank. Well, you know what? You try to go collect from Tank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm just an advocate. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> hey, Paul, I'm Frank Mir. Um, does that name still, uh, you know, kind of bring Brock Lesnar to a boil? Frank never passes up on an opportunity to say Brock's name in interviews. Do you think Brock considers that settled at UFC 100, or is that an opponent that, that he thinks about? I don't think Brock Lesnar pays much attention to Frank Mir at all, and I think it's what I think it's a great strategy for Brock to employ because I think the more Brock just turns a blind a blind eye or a deaf ear to Frank, the more it drives Frank crazy that he can't get Brock's attention. I think the affirmation that Frank Mir seeks in life is to be regarded as a great UFC heavyweight, and I think the second most important affirmation that Frank Mir seeks in life is to be noticed by Brock Lesnar. Interesting. <laughs> Now, on Bellator, do you think that that's an option at all, sizing up, you know, kind of their business, their Viacom backing? We don't, we don't talk about Bellator on this show. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm Come just on. kidding. Go ahead. Ask the question. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. 
Sorry, Dane, I got to let it happen. It's um, in the other room. There's a very <laughs> famous story about Lorenzo Fertitta, and uh, I, I, I don't know if, if, if Lorenzo remembers it, uh, but I, I certainly know the person with whom Lorenzo had the conversation. I know the person very well. And the person came to Lorenzo one day, and the person's contract was up, and, and Scott Coker was still running Strike Force at the time. And, and Coker made a play for this fighter, and, 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 the, and the fighter went to Lorenzo and said, listen, because Dana got frustrated with the guy and, and said, talk to Lorenzo. And he goes to Lorenzo, and Lorenzo said, listen, I'm a Vegas guy. I'll make this real simple for you. Show me something in writing, I'll beat it by a dollar. They offer you $250,000, I'll give you $250,001. They offer you a million, I'll give you a million and one. They offer you two million, I'll give you two million and one. They offer you $50, I'll give you 51. If you come to me to negotiate, this is how I play. I'll beat them by a dollar no matter what it is. So the guy sat there and thought about it for a couple minutes, and he goes back to Lorenzo, and he says, Lorenzo, what if, and going back to what I said earlier about the Sultan of Brunei, what if the Sultan of Brunei says, I'll fly you over to Brunei, you'll fight only in my palace, just for me, but you'll fight my son, and I'll pay you $25 million. And without blinking an eye, Lorenzo says, we'll get it in writing, and I'll give you $25 million in one. I love it. I, lo- <laughs> I, I knew Lorenzo was good at what he did, yeah. and, and great and, at what he does. That's, that's, yeah. that's the mentality. So is, is Viacom an option? I'm sure it's an option. Will they come to play if they're smart? And they're not stupid people over at Viacom. I'm sure they're going to come to play. Can they, can they beat Lorenzo Fertitta if there becomes a bidding war for Brock Lesnar? Good luck with that. Let's stay on Bell- Let's, let me interrupt you. Let's stay on Bellator for one second on this mo we just opened here. You just opened. Rampage Jack. Well, Jack opened it. <laughs> okay, yeah, you opened it, Jack. But you're, you're, in, this, you're in this too, Jack. So okay. Rampage goes over to Bellator. We've read about all the promises and, and, and that were not fulfilled. Do you think it was a smart marketing ploy to have an MMA promotion marketing itself with the wrestling angle? The way they went, you know, he and Tito talked to each other, whoever it was inside the ring. Who came in with the mask? Uh, it was Justin McCullough. Justin came McCulley. in, the, But that was with Stefan Bonner. That Steph- wasn't with Rampage. Well, I mean, just that whole wrestling, to try to bring them together right. into no. a track. Do you think that? I don't. No, I don't like it at all. Okay. Okay. I, I think I think I think MMA and especially UFC mm-hmm. has to be very careful to maintain its credibility. Right. And we live in an era of embellished personalities anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and if you look at some of again going back to Chael Sonnen, you know, right. and, and going back to you know some really great promoters on the mic in UFC, Ronda Rousey is an embellished personality when she's on the mic. She's great at it. She's wonderful at it, and she should be. And she'd love to do wrestling. You know that. Of course she yeah. would. You know, and, but, but she's not going to bring the aspect of exaggeration mm-hmm. into the octagon. Embellishment of one's personality is what Muhammad Ali did. And he talked about his strategy about calling Joe Frazier an ugly gorilla and, and, and how this was, you know, the, the, this was Muhammad Ali... Uh, ramping his own volume up to 11, right? you know? Uh, but a lot of what Ali did was at the core in his heart. It's, what, it's who Muhammad Ali was. Same thing. I, I, think, I think any personality, to get across to the public, is going to be embellished. But once you start doing storylines and once you start scripting stuff, like 
Tito Ortiz's former best friend, Justin McCulley's under a mask, and he reveals himself. And if Tito Ortiz hasn't spent so much time around Justin McCulley that he knows the cologne that he's wearing, and he didn't realize that was Justin McCulley under the mask, then, you know. So. Can I add something to that, too? Please. And I don't, and Justin McCulley's a friend. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't, Justin, if you're listening, I, I mean nothing about this. But in the reality of business, the eyeballs that were on that show that night how many of them recognized Justin McCullough? And they didn't do anything so to explain. So it didn't do anything. If they had, yeah. a, if they had a, 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 a character, or rather, excuse me, a personality underneath there that carried a little more marketing marquee value, against no offense, Justin, it might have had more of an impact, but it kind of fell flat, I well, think, to a lot of people. Well, you know, I, there was a big thing that happened once between Mike Tyson and Bob Sapp, and Bob Sapp was a huge star in Japan at the time. I think, was that in Vegas? Yeah, it was. A I big, was there at that event. a big pull yeah. apart, you know, and, yeah. and nobody gave a crap. And nor should they have, because it was so obviously a show. Right. You know, it was obviously... It was at a K-1 in Vegas. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it was sad to watch, because cause if, if Mike really wanted to do something like that, my God, what a great stunt that would be. Huge. Uh, huge. I mean, you know, again, and, and people are calling the signing of Punk a stunt by UFC, which I don't agree with. He's someone that has intrinsic marketing value that is going to either kick someone's ass or get his ass kicked in his first fight. And he'll be the first one to tell you that. Correct. Yeah. Oh, and listen, when we've talked about it, you know, I ask myself, are you ready? He goes, I'm ready to win and I'm ready to lose. And if I lose, I know how bad it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And are you ready for it? Absolutely. Right. That's what I'm doing. I'm pushing myself and I'm taking my chances. So the same thing. Be- go ahead, Jack. No, you're already interrupting me, so go ahead. What do you want? <laughs> Paul, did you see the Conor McGregor Jose Aldo press conference deal on Rio? Yes. What did you think of it? Uh, wonderful. Again, exaggerated, it, it embellished, it, it embellished without being exaggerated. I I thought that that that's Conor McGregor, and he's mm-hmm. he's here to promote a fight, and he's here to promote himself, and this is how he feels. And you and you take the volume up a little bit. You, you know? know, one thing about Conor McGregor, he's this type of personality. It was. Uh, when we did the first show in Dublin, you might remember the year, maybe six years ago, five years ago, whatever. An 18-year-old kid came up to me and said, my name's Conor McGregor. Remember it. You'll be announcing me someday in the octagon. My Irish accent's not too good. And you know what? This is the kind of determination that makes Conor McGregor the man that he is. Absolutely. Because look where he is now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's not, there's no fictitious stuff here. No, I, I don't think he was doing a wrestling promo on Jose Aldo. I, th- I, think, I think, again, it's, it's, it's embellishment without exaggeration. Right. And I think that's, that's how Conor McGregor views this fight. And he's also getting into Jose Aldo's head. He's also making it very, very personal, very, very fast. He's, 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 he's taking Jose Aldo out of his cold-blooded game plan here. Well, Jose Aldo gave him the bird at the conference, right? He got him emotionally. He's he's breaking him down emotionally now. Yeah, uh, Jose's not laughing like he did when uh, no, when McGregor no. came. And out that was the, the thing, you know. It's funny because when McGregor when McGregor leaped the cage and got up in Jose Aldo's face, and, and and Jose Aldo laughed at him. That's all I was talking about with people. It's like, man, did you see him laugh in his face? It was very interesting. And all of a sudden, it's not so funny anymore. No, it's not. And so so McGregor's getting into his head. Yeah. So it's and obvious what he's doing is working. And Aldo went public and said he saw fear in McGregor's eyes. So, okay, that's good stuff. This this works. Yeah. You know? We'll see. I can't wait to see that fight. Oh, man. I you really and me can. both. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. So let's get back to... Um, well, let's let's let uh, Jack uh, ask maybe one last question, and then we'll get yeah, him we on. Yeah, we can hang up on him. Oh, yeah, yes. Jack. No, we're not going to hang up on you, Jack. You can stay with us, brother. But go ahead. Yeah, oh, no, it's a highlight of the podcast. Just hang up on him. <laughs> <laughs> TJ, you can, well, you can, I won't. You can hand the hang-up button over to Paul, and he can make the call about that. Yeah, just know that it's not me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, he's still there. He's still there. <laughs> Paul, I wanted to ask you what you think about 
the way the UFC promotes fights that's missing from pro wrestling these days. I think it's... Uh... <sighs> you have Joe Rogan, and man, he is a great advocate for the product because mm-hmm. he mm. understands it. Joe Rogan is the absolute best color commentator in sports today. It's, well, in MMA, most definitely. Oh, he blows but, away everybody. But he, he's, he's who, got who, it. Who can touch him? I mean, who, I mean, uh, what? Larry Merchant, who nobody's bothered to tell Larry Merchant that he's been dead for fifteen years. Uh, who? I mean, who, who? I'm going to stay mute on Larry for certain reasons, but um, who? I mean, Jim Lampley know. doesn't come close. But Jim Lampley is great at well, what he Jim's does. Jim's a play-by-play guy, though. He's a little a bit different. Commentator-wise, no. Joe, I've said this too. My 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 brother Brian, who's a huge UFC fan, says, you know what? Joe Rogan makes the show. He says nice things about me too, but I won't say them about myself. But it's like Joe Rogan is the best commentator. Oh, because he question. understands the science. He of practices the fight. it every day. Sure. It's his life. Yeah, it's his life. So he loves the product. He he understands the science. He can convey the message properly to the audience. And so when you're hyping a fight, and and Joe Rogan breaks it down for you as to why this is an interesting fight. Right. You know, here's what UFC continues to master, and I think boxing has gotten. Away from it. And I think at times WWE gets away from it, which is why when I speak on WWE television, I tell you, I'm here. Last night I came on TV at the Staples Center, and the first thing I said was, yak, 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 yak. And I followed it up with, if I haven't sold you on on a reason to watch this fight this Sunday, there's nothing I can say here tonight that's going to get you to watch. Great close. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. You that's know, truth. and 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 uh, I think what we've gotten away from and what UFC continues to push is the three biggest questions any fight has to answer. One, who are these two fighters? Two, why are they fighting? And three, why should I pay to see it? Well, this gets back to my analogy when you build with the with the Ultimate Fighter show and the free shows. And even though there's a lot now and people say, I can't keep track of all the fighters. The idea is to build the personalities, whether it's wrestling or MMA. So it's not just about their fighting ability. What do they eat for breakfast? What do they do in their off days? What do they do when they're not fighting? When you create that kind of a persona and interest, then you're creating fans. Right. You know, and the, and the object and what's going to make things last is, yes, the fighters a fight, but it's the fan. Life is a pyramid. You got Dana White at the, in respect to UFC. You got Dana White at the top, all the people, the fighters, everything else. That base is the fans, and if those fans don't stay hard, the pyramid falls apart. Correct. Right. Hey, let's uh, let's let Jack get out of here because he's a he's a real life reporter for a real life Thank newspaper. So. God. Hey, hey, Jack. Before you go, why don't you tell everyone where they can uh, see your work? Yeah, why don't you hang up on Jack right now? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Jack. Sherdog.com and uh, Last Stand Wrestling Podcast. And Paul, I appreciate your deference. It's always a pleasure, sir. Okay, hey. ready now, ladies and gentlemen. Here comes the highlight of this entire broadcast. Jack is off the air in three, two, one. I love it. I tell That's you, the highlight. No matter what we say, we can't top that. You know what's great being with, <laughs> being with, with and I'm talking greatness, because what you do, you're great. And it's like, for me, to experience other people in this industry that do things that I do and that I don't do. Who are great like you? Well, yeah, come <laughs> I on. Didn't say that. That's what, come on. I mean, you know. You can read him like a book. I'll, you know, my mother used to tell me, false humility is for losers. <laughs> <laughs> but I am a humble guy, but I just got to tell you that I still am open-minded and I learn. 
And there's a couple of things you've done today that actually I've learned from. And the way you close and, and like cut off that segment, I mean, there's an art to this, TJ. Absolutely. It's Paul Heyman's art. one of the best stick men in uh, Absolutely. One of. Yeah. One of. Oh, you are. What's this All one right. of? You are. Uh, see? One of. See? You know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I'm i a lapsed wrestling fan. I Honestly, the last time I watched professional wrestling was the last night in Panama City, Florida when WCW went off the air. I rode that wave to the bitter end. Now with uh, CM Punk coming in, yesterday was the first time I watched the now famous Pipe Bomb promo. Right. And just watching that promo, I cannot wait for this man to get a foothold on these MMA fans. Because we have personalities, we have polarizing personalities in mixed martial arts. Nobody liked Punk, though. Do you notice how there was a little bit of a furor when the signing of Punk and the marketing? And now it's, it's, this is purposeful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's smart. Because you never want to sell from an empty shelf in anything in life, right? You always have to have something to, to hand to people. And here, there's no fight set yet. It's all conjecture about when he's going to fight. Correct. As soon as that date's set, you're going to see a marketing campaign oh, yeah. that's just going to explode. And, I mean, I think to date, Chael Sonnen holds the mantle as best talker in mixed martial arts. I think CM Punk will blow him out of the water if he wants to. Let's talk about Chael for a second. Is there any reality to his going into the WWE, these little rumors we hear? Has there ever been any talks with Chael that you can mention? I don't know what Chael wants to do in WWE. Uh, it, it's, I don't think Chael Sonnen has the cachet with the McMahon family mm-hmm. that he will be able to get a preferred schedule over the other talent that wants to come in, especially the homegrown talent from the NXT right. developmental system that's 25, 26, 27 years old. Good point. Um, and he doesn't have enough, though, though I'm a huge Chael Sonnen fan, and I understand his capabilities, mm-hmm. I don't know if he has the documentation of his pay-per-view buys being so outrageously better than everybody else's that he can warrant the schedule that he would most probably desire. I would tell you right now, I don't think he does. Okay. Now, would I sign Chael Sonnen? In a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I think Chael Sonnen is money every time he, he, he gets in front of a microphone. I would venture to guess that you realize, too, as good as you are, that if you work with Chael, like a, little, like a disciple, you know, like coming in and you, you, you showed him the way and what's needed and where, knowing his personality, he could evolve into this massive WWE personality, I bet you would grab on that. Yes, and I also think Chael has an appreciation for the product. Now, me, I would put Chael as a color commentator, and I'd make him the Joe Rogan of WWE. And in that respect, too, there could be that occasional show that he could go in that ring and take a bump here or there or do something to enlighten it. If if needed, if yeah. desired, yes. It's a lot of work. Wasn't it Mike Goldberg? He was offered the deal with the yeah, WWE Gold, years I mean, ago? Goldberg was offered. I mean, this is all alleged. I've never had like anyone talk about it on the record. But million or something? Apparently, Vince offered Goldberg a sizable amount of money to yeah. walk out on the UFC, to just not show up. Which was great for Goldberg, because I think he was up for renegotiating with the UFC Oh, at that he time, signed so a we'll, very nice deal following yeah. that. It, rumors, at least rumors. So we'll, I, I, don't know. I don't know anything about numbers. Yeah. They're all conjecture. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm curious. There was a time where Vince was hot on uh, mixed martial arts. There was uh, Rick Bassman, a uh, longtime promoter here. Just talked to him two weeks ago. In Southern California, actually talked about um, Vince bringing him out to, to Stanford and talking about possibly starting uh, a mixed martial arts organization with Vince kind of behind it and pulling the strings. Do you think Vince could have been a serious mixed martial arts promoter? Do you think he could have you know, built something up to maybe not the level of the WWE, but something, you know, profitable and successful. If Vince devoted 24-7 to it, like he devotes 24-7 to W... That that man works very, very, very hard. Vince is 69 years old, and 
I, I, I'll get a call saying, uh, yep, uh, we're going to go talk to Vince right now about your idea. It's 1 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday, guys. Yeah, we've been waiting for him since 8 o'clock. You know, he's been on the phone overseas negotiating a new deal. Yep. And he's in the office from early morning until 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning because he loves to yeah. work. And you know, he still apparently lifts weights, too. Oh, well, absolutely. See the, the spread yeah, the muscle the cover? and fitness? Oh, was, my goodness. Was, but here's one thing about Vince. Vince is... In my motivational speeches teaching branding and marketing, I have one thing I always say. All business is the same. It's just the product that's different. Vince McMahon is that type A entrepreneur, Wolverine personality that no matter what it is, if he does do 24-7 focus, it will be successful. Now, we've seen MMA organizations come and go and lose tremendous amounts of money. It's very hard to compete with the 800-pound gorilla, Mm -hmm. right, You being UFC. But if Vince McMahon sets his mind to something, I guarantee you he's going to reach a level of success to what level of success it's going to be. But he'll make it happen because he knows he can do that. You know, this is interesting. We're talking about uh, Brock possibly signing with the UFC, and and the uh, topic of exclusivity came up. And, you know, I think we phrased it as, would Vince be willing to let Brock work in both worlds? I think, honestly, Paul, from my experiences and talking to people that are close to Dana, that Vince would be more willing to play ball with Brock going to the UFC and doing his thing than Dana would be allowing Brock to, to, to go wrestle. Uh, that, that, that surprises me a little bit. That, But it's a cross-sort of promotion. It brings eyeballs to right, the Right, but I don't, I don't think Dana would be okay with it. I think where Vince would be more accepting of it. The big question for me, and, and please, Paul, elaborate, is when you allow people to do two things at once, remember, people get hurt in WWE. People You're hurt risking MMA, your though. product for the eventual show that you've already had planned that could cost gazillions that we've seen happen how many times in the last couple sure. of years when we've lost headliners? So you got to protect your thoroughbreds. Right. You know? I just don't think either either man, Vince nor Dana, would want to take that risk with a, with a property like I Brock. I don't think Vince feels that he needs us. I think that Dana's smart enough to see that there's a cross-sorted promotion there. Maybe. Like if Paul figured out a way to do something with Dana and get me in the WWE ring. That's a cross sorted promotion. Absolutely. It doesn't mean I'm going to be at every show. I'm making a, it's a it's a it's thing. absolutely yeah. It's a one off. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I I can't speak for Dana White either. You know, so right. I, I don't know what's in Dana's head. And again, you know, hey, listen, if I'm Vince McMahon, I sign Brock Lesnar to an exclusive contract. Right. I'd want I'd want to own everything about Brock Lesnar's public persona, as he does so well. You know, yes. one one of the biggest questions we had on Twitter, we put it out that you were coming in, and you've been so nice to, to retweet it. We appreciate the response. I mean, Thank this, you for your This time has been today. the biggest buzz we've had uh, for a show in a minute. Um, but the, the listeners wanted us to ask, if Brock did go to MMA, do you think there'd be a place for you in Brock's, you know, the same sort of advocation role that you have? Do you think you could have that as for Brock Lesnar, the mixed martial artist? I in a different I, way. In a different I, I, way. Yeah, I'm not the guy to answer that. I, I think that's really. I see it, but you'll play it differently. I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, it, listen. I, I am, in terms of being associated with Brock Lesnar, I, I can pretty much say we're best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, as close to Brock as anybody outside his family could possibly be. Um, when he decided to write his autobiography, there was n- <laughs> the. It's a funny story. Uh, he, he signed to do an autobiography, so they sent a, a writer to see him. The writer lasted 30 seconds around Brock, and Brock put him back on a plane to New York. Wow. They sent a second writer to talk to Brock, this guy from L.A., who had worked with difficult personalities in the past, My, Mike Tyson being one of them. Right. You know? And the guy lasted an hour around Brock Lesnar, 20 minutes of which were Brock driving him back to the airport and saying, 
get the F out of here. <laughs> so they said to Brock, they go, well, who you want to work with? And he gave them my number. And I was the only guy Brock would write his book with. So am I his advocate? Well, I wrote his autobiography with him. I legitimately speak for him on WWE TV. I'd say I'm his advocate. Right. Absolutely. Um, so if Brock goes, to, I mean, when Brock was in UFC and he was doing the press conferences on the shows that I was going uh, to with him, would we talk about it in advance? Absolutely. I'm always in his ear. You know, we, 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 we talk every day. But would there be a place on the dais for you That's next up to, to Dana White. That's up to Dana, but when you think about it, the success formula of the relationship between Paul and Brock is huge in the WWE. Mm-hmm. That success formula that you're trying to attract WWE eyeballs to come over to UFC, they should still be able to see that, but Paul's smart enough and talented enough to know that he's going to play it the same but tweak it as to apply to the MMA fan. I think it's a fascinating avenue, and Dana, this is my guess, right? Dana and the people that are the marketing brains along with Dana behind the UFC are going to see, well, hey, Let's play off that image. It makes you wonder why wasn't Paul there before. Sure. But in this case of a second coming, I can see it even being more important to include Paul in the equation. Well, I'm just curious, Paul. I mean, you know Brock Lesnar, the man, the mixed martial artist, and the professional wrestler. Is there much of a difference between the three? No. And I think that's what makes his WWE character so strong right now. Right. I mean, he's, uh, look, he, he's first and foremost, he's a hunter. Yeah. He's a predator. Right. He's a conqueror. Right. He is a beast. And he does go into the woods, and he does he does slay an animal, and and I'm sure you're going to get all this complaints from Peter now about me, but he goes and he slays an animal, he brings it home, and, he, and they eat it for dinner. The, right. Peter knows we're huge animal advocates here on. We on are. Yeah, but I. Yeah. But no, no, no. no. Well. <laughs> We respect animals, but I respect animals. I've probably honestly killed as many animals as as Brock. Oh, he's a hunter. I'm a huge hunter. hunter. I'm from I'm from Minnesota. uh, Well, see, I'm I'm a New York Jew, and (laughs) and my people we're not hunters, we're furriers. There you go. See, I can. I've said on the show before. I I collect weapons. I collect guns. I'm I'm an advocate for guns my whole life, and I could shoot a man coming through my window in a heartbeat to hurt my family, and probably have breakfast afterwards. But I can't shoot Bambi. I just can't shoot Bambi. I'm sorry. If I got to eat and that's the only way I'm going to eat, well, okay, that's one thing. But I don't want to shoot Bambi. I, I, I have never been hunting in my life. I went ice fishing with Brock once. Oh, uh, Please tell me it was in a luxurious shack. Oh, God. I, I would not call that thing luxurious for the life of me. Brock's and, a man. He's going to get out there and do it oh, like it's we supposed to be done. So cold. Did it have a TV? Freezing. No. Nothing. Were you way up north? Were you like on Lake Yeah, way, oh, or way, okay. way, way, way. You know, my biggest fear of ice fishing with Brock Lesnar would be to be standing behind this 300 plus pound monster walking on the ice and worried he's going to hit the soft spot. No, no. If you're in northern Minnesota, that ice is four <laughs> feet oh, deep. Oh, no, no. It was, it was, I mean, they, they, had a, they had a blast a hole in the ice with yeah. dynamite and then yeah. they, oh, okay, and good. they put I'm the cool. house on top of it. And, and I'm sitting there holding, and I've never held a fishing rod in my right, entire sure. life. And he's there with a spear. Oh, he's spear fishing. <laughs> yeah, he's, wow. He spear yeah. through the ice. So he's yeah. waiting for that guy to cross the... Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. He's just sitting. He's primed and ready I've, and ramped. I've done that in the ocean because I'm an ocean boy. Right. But, you know, and I use Hawaiian slings. Yeah, but, but you're also in easy. the sun and, and probably underwater and all that stuff. Brock Lesnar's yeah. probably sitting in this cold, dark, dingy shack yes. waiting for with something to go by. So can, heater. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. And, and all of a sudden, you know, my, my, my goes... And what do I do? What do I do? And he's screaming at me, reel it in, reel it in. I have 
no idea how to reel this thing. I, I mean, uh, do I fillet it? Is it sushi? <laughs> right. What do I do? And I, I did. I handed him the rod, and I ran out of the ice because <laughs> I had no idea. And Brock pulls this thing in. He sticks his fingers in its eyes. Oh my like, goodness! Oh, oh, what are you doing? Leave the thing alone! I felt so wow. bad for the fish. Oh my god! It was horrible. <laughs> and he goes, "This is what you do." I was like, "That's not what I do. I don't do that." Right. right. I, I, you know, I do enjoy fishing. I, I'm not sure. a fisherman, but when I fished, I always so it just right. relaxes me. It's really cool. But I would love to do that with Brock Lesnar. Not but, not in that cold though, Bruce. No, I want to do cold. it for real. That's I love that idea of doing it for real. If I'm going to do it, I want to have the experience. Yeah, you know? bring a bring a gigantic coat and. But uh, trust me, I'll be. The clothes are my choice, okay? Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. the environment is Brock's. Yeah, not a problem. Question with CM Punk, and and I. We should we should let Paul go here. Yeah, I know we're, we're being very generous. Yeah, being Thank very you, because we keep you forever. Believe see, me, it's that, a busiest week see, in pro see, wrestling too. See, see that that's the cue that that they're tired of me already. Absolutely no! not. No, I take the no in no no way whatsoever. <laughs> well, listen, I, I get everybody gets tired. My yeah. own kids are like okay. I am dad. not tired, oh, Paul. No, I've been really. waiting. I've been anxiously waiting for you to be. No, on the like show. I, I, you know, my kids and I would curl up to watch something together, and after a few minutes, they're like. Hey, Dad, don't you have some work to do or something? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting the, the urge to uh, just go full mark on you and ask about Bam Bam Bigelow and New Jack. So, <laughs> Well, you started it. Uh, but he, before we do, real quick, CM Punk. Right. First show you bring him out on, do you bring him out on a big fight night show on Fox Network? No. Or do you put him on the paper? Oh, put him on, make people pay to see him. Yeah. Do you make him the co-main event or do you make him the, the, the one of the fights on the main event? Anywhere you want him to be. Just any, as, as long as, long as, as you promote card. it. As long yeah. as you promote it. Right. Uh, he doesn't have to be in the top two matches. He could be the first match. The first match is what I'm On a pay-per-view. Yeah. But when you build up that pay-per-view, if you're not promoting, Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, is on this show right. fighting for the very first time in an octagon. He is 0-0, and he will either be 1-0 or 0-1, and he will either win spectacularly or lose disastrously, and it's going to be one or the other. Then it doesn't matter. You don't have to make him the co-main event. Well, even the main event. I would say, and I'm going to change my agreement with you on the first fight, there's nothing more exciting than the impending event. So you start that pay-per-view, and you keep building it and building it and building it, making maybe the Coco main event. You know, like So you at least have a few fights before as you keep building it within the show up to instead of hitting it with CM right at the top of the show. We already got the coin, so maybe it doesn't make any difference. True, but but then again, it's a great way to kick off a show. Yeah, no, okay. Right, see, right, see right, him, right out, I agree right out of the gate. And now I'm back to agreeing again. Yeah, so and, it's and, okay. and also, you know, it, it's not like it's the first thing people live are going to see that night. You have all the prelims. Prelim you, stuff, you, yeah. You know, so it, it, it's, here it is now, first thing you see on pay-per-view, right off the bat, here it is. After pushing it through the, I agree with you, Paul. It'll be a co-main event. It'll be a co-main event. It, it could be that, too. Yeah. I'm, just saying, I'm just saying it doesn't have to be. No, no, absolutely. I, uh, I think it makes sense to do a co-main event. I mean. Uh, not to disparage the UFC by Co- any means, Co- but Co- Co- you, you have so many events that are going on right now, Bruce. That you know some of the cards are not very um, talent heavy, especially when they were doing you know five or six shows a year. You know you're doing twelve pay per views a year. I mean, Phil Brooks, CM Punk is a, is a logical co-main event. Yeah, a logical co-main. So, can I ask about Bam Bam Bigelow and New Jack? Goes. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm interested in the question because I don't even, I don't know how they correlate. Together. There, there was one uh, one match they went on a, a pay per view where I think New Jack was completely knocked unconscious but still needed to do this high spot off the balcony. Do you know? Do you know about you the one about I'm Vic talking? Grimes? Yeah, is yeah, that is that, that it? That was in Bam Bam Bigelow. I thought it, no, no. That we're, we're I'll find the it guy off that the fell air. on top of New Jack's head when they fell off the scaffold. No, no, New Jack like did a, a, a spot off the balcony onto Bam 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 and Bam Bam had to carry him back to the ring. That was the on pin. television. Was it on television? Yeah. I thought it was a pay per view. I saw it on the network, so 
No, it was, it was on television. Okay. My what, bad. What is... Uh, what's the question? Yeah. Just, the question? how uh, Was there ever a moment where something happened at ECW where you're just like, what the hell are we doing? Every what? single night that we ran. That's the next question I have is, what is literally one of the craziest, unexpected things you've ever seen in this wild, wacky world of wrestling? Oh. Do you have like one that just completely stands out or just too many to even think too about? Too many. Yeah. It, it's, it, Probably forgot more than you can remember, I bet. Uh, and, and that's not a testament to my memory anymore. Well, mine too, my friend. D- did did anybody run by spots before a show and you say, you can't do that? Don't oh, do every, that. every night. And they just did it anyway? No. No? Not oh, if so they wanted to stay employed, no. Right, okay, okay. I was just wondering if anybody straight up defied you. and uh, only oh, oh, It would only happen once, I assure you of that. There you go. There you go. Do you do you have are you familiar with the ECW verse? I not that I can sit here and converse to a long line. I, I will yes, just tell you one th- one it. thing yes. you need to know about the ECW is I don't think that any sport has ever had as diehard of fans as ECW fans. Well, yeah, you know the, the thing about cult like the thing I liked about Extreme is that when the when what I remember is in sport when you think about it, <clears throat> everybody's had the fighting sports about boxing. And then we became the UF. The UFC came on the scene again. Apples and oranges, two different fighting sports, but fighting went to an extreme. Skateboarding went to an extreme. Snowmobile performances went to an extreme. Motorcycle, motocross, the jumps went to an extreme. And then at that same time that these extremes were happening, ECW came around. That's what I remember. And all I could think about as a layman to the wrestling world is that. Well, what I see in the WWE and the WCW, ECW must be to the extreme. Right. What I, that was and that's how concept. I looked at right. it. Yeah. Yes. So it was like the new next level, you know, is how I looked at it as a layman in the advertising that I saw back in that it day. It was a marketing. Yeah. It was marketing and branding. Yeah. I don't care what you have, TV show in your hand. Put it this way. I always says, you have a diamond in your hand and a piece of coal in the other. If you don't market that diamond correctly, it won't be perceived as a diamond. If you market that piece of coal like a Jersey Shore TV show correctly, people perceive it as a diamond, even though it's a bunch of crap, right? Right. And it makes a hell of a lot more money, and they pay more for it than they would for the diamond. Of course. And that's the way it is in all business. So everything is about marketing. King of marketing over here. Marketing, marketing, marketing. You pointed at Paul. You weren't pointing at yourself. We should point that out. No, no. King of marketing. Use an index finger, not a thumb. (laughs) Boom. There you go. There you go. Well, seriously, it, it, is that my ha- exit music. This is this is. But why is do you have security guards at the door right now? Do we really? Have why are they looking guards? at me that way? Oh, oh uh, those well, guys. you know, because I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You need to go. It's got to be the busiest time in your it life is. right now. The next, I set aside my whole day for you. Well, we really appreciate it. Well, seriously, then, I gotta go. If I'd have to go see the accountant about how much money I owe the IRS in forty-five minutes, I'd be taking you out to lunch. <laughs> I think you need to offer him some UFC tickets for WrestleMania tickets. I think you need to reverse the roles here. You know what? I get two tickets to every show that I usually have a date or friends for Paul you tell me when you're going you oh anytime tickets, you call me you know you kind of owe buffer you're kind of ripping off his stick a little bit. I, yeah how do I whoa, do whoa, whoa, how's he rip me off oh have you not seen this man introduce Brock Lesnar we got I gotta go <laughs> I gotta go nice. I gotta go I mean this guy okay I gotta go this guy's hey, doing listen. everything but saying it's time Bruce I'm, I'm telling you it's, listen, it's time for me to go I don't own reigning defending that is all about that it's all about it no because you stole it from me but anyway I, <laughs> I, I, I have to go my brother no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody enjoys a little circle of effort you know it's all about it's not just about marketing it's about performance and Paul is unique in his performance as I like to think that hopefully I am too uh, he's unique but I think he's watched a few main event introductions that's all I'm saying I think They're you've good. done your tape study it's on the Bruce height Buffer. of a compliment I'm just I'm flattered 
right? right? And if I can learn something from Paul and observe something, then maybe I'll tweak it. You must like uh, Paul because anybody else does this. You start telling them that they're copycats and you send injunctions. No, I just show up in a ski mask and a baseball bat. <laughs> no, Paul, it's very pro I, wrestling of you. I have a lot of respect for for you, Paul. Well, thank you. And, Likewise, and that's sure. why I'm talking. I don't, I'm not going to say you're buddy or Brad. I'm not the kind of guy. I'm going to tell it the way it is, and that's all I've been saying this whole show. And plus, I need a new UFC ticket hookup because Burt Watson's got it. Uh, very sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I yeah, like Burt. I, 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 I'm, I'm a big Burt fan. Yeah, he's, you know. I talk about him, but I got to go. I hear you. I hear you. No, <laughs> I'm, you're very, talking I'm about very busy. The, the, very, very busy. Yeah, TJ's the one that's pushing you out the door. Not me, for the fans listening. Thanks, uh, TJ. Thanks. I feel like Jack. He is the producer. We if we could just hang up on you, we would. This is the longest goodbye I've ever had in my Absolutely. entire life. All right, Paul. Listen. Well, Paul, best of luck with WrestleMania. We watched on the WWE Boy, that's a Network. kiss off. Yeah, best of luck. See you later. Just Safe get a, travels. Get on that jet I saw at LAX earlier with the big WWE on and go do what you got to do, <laughs> will you? <laughs> While we close up shop, Bruce, why don't you tell everyone where they can follow you on social media? Yeah. Uh, so we're closing out the show here. Basically, you follow me at uh, on Instagram at Bruce Buffer UFC, Twitter at Bruce Buffer. Twitter for Paul Heyman. At Heyman Hustle. At Heyman Hustle. And TJ DeSantis. At TJ at DeSantis. TJ DeSantis. Yep. Uh, thank everybody for the <clears throat> multiple voiceover requests I've got. I'm getting, again, just a batch. I, know. I did a more weddings and birthdays this week. Find out information about that and everything you need Super to know Super Bowl about me. commercials? Yes. Uh, you, Super did you Bowl. see it? Yes, I it? did. Isn't that a bucket list box check off right there? The paycheck is, again, it's, it's great. I'll cash it. I'll be the first one at the bank. But just to be able to say Of that, course. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so awesome. And I and I was in that great movie, Hot Tub Time Machine 2, recently. I didn't see that one. That's okay. You didn't miss anything. That's right. So far, <laughs> P- Paul doesn't like your movies. That's okay. I, you know, what can I say? Maybe I I'll find chat. better ones for him. There we go. There we Maybe go. Maybe Bruce needs an advocate. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think this little advocacy potential here might pay off in the near future, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Paul's, Paul's, I, I, Paul and I understand each other, even if this is the first time we sat in really broken bread. The relationship now he has here. to go. Yeah. We both have to go. Yeah, we both right. have to go. Can you let us go, TJ? All right, yeah, we're out of here. Now we can talk off the air about advocacy and movies and Perfect. paychecks and shekels. And Do all. I fit in anywhere here or am I SOL? No. No, Son of a bitch. Yeah, for everybody listening, all of you around the world listening to It's Time Radio, again, we thank you week to week. Paul, wonderful having you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. All right, everybody. Treat everybody around you with respect. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Be a sphere of influence to the ones you love and know. Life is worth living, folks. If you have goals and dreams, don't think about them. Go for them. Write them down. Make it happen. We'll be back next week on It's Time Radio. Thank DJ, you. you were horrible. I'll agree with that. It's Time with Bruce Buffer is a TJ DeSantis production and is property of Buffer Enterprises Incorporated. Its content is intended for private use only. (sighs) Sorry I'm late, everyone. It's all right. The meeting's just getting started. Are you in your closet? Yeah, it's the quietest place. Ah, not the roomiest, though. Getting closer with your closet these days? That a dinosaur costume behind you? What? No. (laughs) The Container Store's custom closet sale is here to help with up to 25% off closet systems and free virtual in-home closet design. Who wants Sean to put on the dino suit? Really, guys? The Container Store, where space comes from. Total Wine & More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities. Up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. (laughs) 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.